the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 182. I'm your host, Sussan, and today I have with me... Uh, Ed. <laughs> this is Ed. Thank you. Sorry. Oh, that was hilarious. <laughs> and this is Greta. And we are bringing the latest comic news and comic book reviews from the weeks of January 31st through February 13th. We have a total of four books to cover on this episode. A little bit of news. We have the numbers from December, which we have kept... We keep putting off and putting off, and we will do them this episode. Because February or uh, January numbers, I should say, are right around the corner, um, and then we, of course, have a ridiculous amount of listener Q and A's. It seems like once a month we get a ton of listener Q and A's, and once a month we get no listener Q and A's. So we will deal with all of those as well. Probably not a whole lot of time for any sort of discussion due to the amount of listener Q and A's, because we'll have plenty of discussion when we come to that. So let's jump straight into comic news. The very first thing we have is it was announced on February, or nope, it was announced that uh, Chris Daughtry, yes, the musician Chris Whoa. Daughtry, will be contributing to the Batman number 50 variant. What? Yes, yes, you heard that correctly. Um, he, he had posted some stuff on Instagram showing that he is uh, working with Jim Lee on the variant cover that Jim Lee's working on. Uh, the, he, he's inking it and the pencils were originally given to him by Jim Lee. Uh, Jim Lee was originally solicited to draw the variant cover for Batman vs. the the Batman vs. Superman variant theme for March for number 50, but Daughtry is now credited alongside Lee in the DC press release. So, yeah. We know Uh, that he's a huge Batman fan, but. (laughs) So so am I, but I don't think I'm going to clean the cover. Uh, That's the luck to him. What can I say? All right. So the next bit of news we have on February 2nd, we posted up a rumor mill dealing with a lot of the different things behind what we know about Rebirth. Now, real quick, uh, as of us recording this, this, we still don't know anything officially about Rebirth, but we do know that it's right around the corner. Um, It is going to be announced within 24 hours of us recording this podcast right now. Um, But we can't... We can't hold out on recording the podcast any later due to the fact that we're literally one day before our, our release date. So, um, <laughs> Rebirth is going to be announced. Uh, the solicitations, though, I will say we won't dive into the details of the solicitations because it's not technically within the window of when we're supposed to be covering. I will say that the solicitations for uh, May, none of them list the, uh, the final issue, which just could be a... A very, uh, on purpose mistake because there are certain books that we know are supposed to end at, uh, in May that also are not listed as their final issue. And so, some should end. Yeah. So, yeah. And some should end, yes, but some actually are supposed to end with issue number 12 in May and they are not listed as ending. So, that being said, let's dive into some of these rebirth rumors. Uh, first up, 
Every relaunch book in the Rebirth might receive a Rebirth issue in June ahead of a new number one issue. It's rumored that the bi-weekly books, possibly including Batman, will actually release their new number ones in June following the Rebirth issue. While it hasn't been locked down, rumors suggest that Tom King will take over writing duties for the bi-weekly Batman. And it's been rumored that current Batman writer Scott Snyder will take over Detective Comics, which is said to remain monthly. According to an unnamed source, seven titles will be canceled from Rebirth. The rumor says that Batman, Superman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Grayson, Starfire, Black Canary, Midnighter, and Doctor Fate may end before Rebirth. Additionally, other sources have claimed that some of those solo heroes will be moved to other books. Starfire will be moving to a new Titans book. Black Canary will be moving to a Birds of Prey book. Grayson will be moving to Nightwing. Uh, with the end of Batman Superman and Superman Wonder Woman, it's rumored that a new series starring all three heroes titled Trinity will debut sometime after the initial rebirth. The bi-weekly Trinity will star Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman. The number of new books are rumored to launch as part of rebirth, although none of these appear to be TBU specific to TBU yet. Peter Tomasi is rumored to be the new Superman writer. The book is mentioned as being bi-monthly as opposed to bi-weekly like Batman, but considering the dual meaning of bi-monthly, it's possible that Superman will be an every-other-week schedule like Batman. The new, A new Justice Society of America book is rumored to arrive as part of Rebirth, starring what's described as a team of young heroes brought forward in time where they will fight alongside the Justice League. Uh, in addition to the new Titan series, it's rumored that there will be a Teen Titan series, which will feature Damien in the lead as Robin. Another rumor states that one of the integral ideas of Rebirth depends on something in the upcoming Batman vs. Superman film, but the plot point is still secret to both editors and creators working on the new line. Alright, so let's dive into this, this stuff. Um, I'm not surprised on some of these books being canceled that they, you know, that are popping up, uh, to a degree, Batman Superman is probably one of, it's, is the lowest selling main Batman book that Batman actually appears in. So I wouldn't be a, surprised if that actually happened. Superman Wonder Woman also doesn't sell super well. It's not like a top 10 book or a top 25 book, I think even that. So combining the three of them and having a book, I mean, in some ways it's basically like Justice League 1.0, but we'll see how that actually turns out. I'm not saying that I wouldn't be interested in it. We will, if there is a Trinity book, we will cover it here on the, the website and the podcast. Um, but, uh, as far as some of these other ones, Starfire going to a different Titans book, Black Canary and a Birds of Prey. Birds of Prey, Black Canary makes perfect sense to bring Birds of Prey back, especially with all these female characters within the confines of Gotham City that do not have a book to actually be in. I'm talking Harper Rose, spoiler, Cassandra. Black Canary, if her book gets canceled, Batgirl to a degree. So, I mean, like, there's a lot of characters that definitely could use, could be utilized if there's a Birds of Prey title. Um, Grayson turning, going back to Nightwing, um. That's, I don't, that's the one. I, I'm not gonna die. Forever Evil? I mean. Yes, but here's the thing. And of course, this is outside of our window of where we're supposed to be covering. But if you happen to pick up uh, Batman and Robin Eternal number 20, there is actually an explanation as to how that could occur. But we're not going to dive too deep into it other than there is a way to make that happen, and they have set it up in the pages of issue 20. So when we, next episode when we cover 20, we'll discuss that more at length, but uh, just so everyone knows. Fair. Um, 
Outside of this, the only other one that I thought was kind of interesting is Damien being the lead in a Teen Titans series. And it's interesting because that would probably be one of the few situations where Damien is brought into the DC universe, the Batman universe, and outside of his own title. I mean, outside of Batman Robin, Damien has not appeared very much. Yes, it could be attributed to the fact that he was dead for a chunk of, you know, the New 52, but at the same time, there's a lot of times he doesn't appear. And, you know, uh, there's the covers for the final issues of Batman Robin Eternal have released, and they do show Damien alongside Goliath on one of the covers. We also see Spoiler and Midnighter and some of the other characters who haven't appeared in the pages of Batman Robin Eternal yet, so something could happen where it brings a lot of characters similar to what we saw at the end of the first Batman Eternal, where a lot of the Bat family come together at the last second to help Batman out. Um, that's probably what we're going to end up seeing, but they'll all team up as, you know, just the Bat family of sidekicks. Um, because Batman, well, maybe even Batman could reappear, I guess, uh, timing-wise, it could happen. So, all of that said... I think it's interesting because Damien in a DC book, not necessarily a Batman book, is 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 interesting because it's saying that you know finally he's going to start being utilized in other ways. So, I think it's weird there'll be a Titans and a Teen Titans. I mean, if you look at the sales numbers for Teen Titans, they don't scream give it a second book. True. You know, um, and the thing that I kind of hit me on this when I saw it was. We just got Tomasi back in the Bat family writing Detective, and he's gone again already? No, that's, he's not gone. He's not he's going gone to Superman. Yet. He's going to Superman. Yes, but here's the thing that, that's interesting. That kind okay, of suck, so right? the So the solicitations for 50 have Peter Tomasi on the book. The solicitations for 51 have Peter Tomasi on the book. And uh, even though we're not going to dive into it, 52, he's also on Detective Comics as well. So he's not leaving the Bat books. But they also do have – there's an event – some Superman event. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head, but there's some Superman event. The solicitations, which we didn't really dive into the solicitations in April, but there's a storyline that's coming in April called Super League, and it's written by Peter Tomasi. It's going to be in Superman, Batman, Superman, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Action Comics, which when, I guess if you have this story happening in all of these books, I guess it's entirely possible that the outcome of all of these books happening could be that, you know, the the Trinity title that, you know, we're hearing rumors about. But the idea behind, because it's also would be eliminating half the books that are included in this event if the rumor pans out to be true. But Peter Tomasi is reading that too, and that is actually a ton of books in a short amount of time. It's eight issues in two months. And that explains why he wasn't doing anything last year before he took over Detective Comics and how he kept telling everybody he had a project, it was coming, but he was working on that. And that's why he, when he left Batman and Robin, there was a couple months where he didn't do anything. And I'm guessing this is the reason. Now, to talk about the, these possible announcements as that what's really important, which is how it relates to us, right? True. Uh what do you think about Tom King? Because we're, we're going to be reviewing Tom King now every two weeks. If he's writing Batman, we're going to be reading a lot of his stuff on this cast. You guys have been reading Grayson. What do you think about King doing a bi-weekly Batman? Now, here's the thing. Tom King's it, with Grayson. Now, the, the thing is, it's hard to figure out exactly, you know, how far his reach goes on that title and how far Tim Seeley's reach goes because 
They are co-writers on the series. Mm-hmm. Now, there's plenty of issues of Grayson that I have thoroughly enjoyed, and I think it's a great series. And honestly, in some ways, it would, as much as I would love to see Nightwing back, the great, what's been happening in Grayson has been interesting. It's been different. I wasn't a huge fan of it to begin with, but I, it's grown on me and I've enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. What slightly concerns me with Tom King is that he was the showrunner per se behind the Robin War. Mm. He was the one who wrote the first Robin War, the, you know, the, the actual Robin War series, and he wrote the Grayson one, and then he wrote the Robin War number two. So he wrote those three issues. Uh, Tim Seeley, I believe, helped with the Grayson one too, but he was supposed to be the showrunner behind that. And honestly, hindsight, or hindsight 2020, when we look at Robin War, there, it really wasn't, wasn't, very good. Yeah, it wasn't a very good event. And I don't know if it was just, I don't know if it's, you know, if it could all be laid on his lap or, you know, if he's partially to blame or if he's not to blame at all and he just wrote what he was told to write. I don't know. But like, in some ways, that's the one thing that concerns me. Like, Grayson is good and there's a lot of good stuff that happens in Grayson that I could see mm-hmm. like, hey, he, he can, he can do this. But it concerns me when we have an event like Robin War and it's just kind of like, fell flat and was kind of a waste of space. I don't even know what, I mean, I, I understand what happened in the story, but I don't see what the point was. Not with Batman and Robin. Eternal. I mean, essentially it's the same thing in Batman and Robin Eternal. Just they spun the, we are Robin characters into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I mean, again, I, I've liked his stuff in Grayson. Um, I just don't know if he is, I just assumed that we'd get Snyder going over to Detective and then Tomasi on Batman, which I was really kind of excited for because I really liked Batman and Robin that Tomasi did for the most part. I mean, there was a couple mm-hmm. lulls, but it was a good series. Um, so that was my only downer when I read this was that I was just really looking forward to see Tomasi, but guess not. Yeah, I think that's the greatest disappointment for me as well as not seeing Tomasi's name on any of these titles. And... For someone to write, be writing three books, I guess, a month, you know, if, with Tom King, uh, you, you've got, <laughs> you've got to really be, uh, trusting of that particular person really into his work. And I'm, I'm surprised we're not sort of stepping or, you know, getting our feet wet a little bit, you know, see how he does on one of them and then, uh, pushing more. But man, to throw him in on such a big title like Batman is, uh, it's a big one. Yeah. But see, the, I guess in some ways you kind of have to throw somebody to the wolves when it comes to the Batman title, because if that title is going to go bi-weekly and that's the reason why Snyder doesn't want to be on the book anymore, mm-hmm. then they have to do something. I mean, like if it's, you know, it's either find somebody really big to come in and write the title for a while, or it's basically create somebody in house who is known to write stuff that, you know, connects with fans to a degree. I mean, he's also the writer behind Omega men, which is actually a really good series. And my understanding is that he's written some stuff at Marvel that people have accepted really well too. I haven't personally read it, but I do. Oh, I, I, do, I have read Omega right Man. Closet, are you? I have read Omega Man, and I can say <laughs> that it is a good series. So, like, I can, and I'm not even a Green uh-huh. Lantern fan. So, like, when it comes to you know making something interesting, there's something there. So, uh, yeah. I guess we'll have to wait too because I have a feeling that the issue fifty two solicitations could be just flat out lies. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. You know, I could I could almost see them uh, see the thing is it's it's hard to say something like that could actually happen. Like 
I've heard a couple of other rumors that that wasn't posted in this this article that we ran up that said something about, you know, maybe June is going to be like rebirth number one issues, kind of like Villains Month or uh, the zero, zero Month where we had all those zero issues where the entire month is just basically a special issue for all of the series that will, you know, start happening in July. So June becomes the new event month instead of September. Mm. And it's rebirth this time around, and it just basically sets up whatever's going to be happening. And if, yeah, I mean, I don't want to dive too much more in depth with the solicitations that we'll discuss next episode, but it'll be interesting to see what exactly happens because I've never heard of a situation. Okay, I can't say that specifically, but I have never heard of a of a group of solicitations that is complete BS, and then they 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 oh, get wow. rid of it. Like you're getting punked. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of times where they change what's ever solicited and things like that, but there's also a risk that comes with doing that because whenever they solicit something, if anything changes, the retailers can return it for no reason whatsoever. If you're a retailer and you ordered 5,000 copies of Batman number 52, Mm -hmm. and then they changed the writer on it for that issue, you can return all 5,000 copies and you know nothing happens. And lies may be the wrong term, but there doesn't. There seems to be with all the stuff that happened after number fifty, and then things are just going on. You know what I'm saying? Like I don't know. May, I, I think, like I said, we'll talk about this more intelligently next time because the rumors we're supposed to hear by the end of the week what's going on. Yeah. So by next episode, we should find out exactly what's going on with Rebirth. We should find out. You know, we'll discuss the solicitations and that. So. The only other real quick news we have is on February 5th, there was a couple more Batman vs. Superman variant covers that were released. Uh, this time around, I believe it was for Detective Comics. You can check those out on the website. And then on February 10th, uh, we have an update about Snyder leaving Batman. Uh, he specifically sent out a tweet saying, Truth, I've been delaying writing the last pages of Batman 51, my final issue on the series, and last comic with Greg Capullo for six months. What we do know for sure is that he is saying that the last pages of 51 are his final issue. It flows in line with everything else we've heard in the past about how he wants his last issue to be A Quiet Night in Gotham. Uh, it's the last issue with Greg Capullo. Um, he, he does, I, I do have to say, and I said this before about how they have said that they will continue to work with each other. Every time, if you start, if you really like dive into their tweets and you take some liberties with interpreting what they're saying, there's, they never once say anything about returning to Gotham together. They just say that they will work together again in about six months. I believe we talked about this last episode. You know, I'm sticking by my guns. Snyder and Capullo together are not going to be in Gotham again. I'm, I'm convinced of that. I hope you're really wrong, but I'm not saying you are. Because here's the thing, like, why, if, if, if he said, you know, his last issue of Batman with Capullo, he wanted to be this quiet night in Gotham, why would they go back to Gotham? I think there's this big, there's a big elephant in the room, which is, why would Snyder start a story arc with somebody else, and then do that for six months? You know, we don't know for sure that he's going to Detective Comics, he hasn't officially said that he's doing that, but... What if they just take six months off totally? What if Snyder doesn't... If that, if that was the case, then, you know, I would understand that. And I could see, okay, maybe in six months, then he pops back onto Detective Comics. Or, you know, pops back somewhere. Probably or not this, Batman if it's bi-weekly, but... Uh, maybe they'll realize in six months that having Batman bi-weekly is stupid. 
And I'll go I back. think I don't you think know. they can go six months without Snyder being on something. That's the reality of it. No, so, probably not. Probably so not. I mean, like that's realistically, fair. that's the thing. And I and and here's the thing: like, as much as I, you know, I want to give the artist just as much credit as the writer, it comes down to a lot of times that it does not matter if Snyder. Uh, or not, it doesn't matter if Capullo takes a month off. The book still sells well, whether Capullo is on the book or not. So DC, they're looking at this from the perspective of, do we get, take Snyder off a book for six months and put him onto something when Capullo comes back? Or do we move Sky, Snyder onto something else and have Capullo come back and they work on something else together? And I feel like that's more likely the case. I mean, maybe Snyder does go to Detective Comics for six months. He's teamed up with an artist, you know, maybe Sean Murphy or somebody he's worked with in the past, Raphael Albuquerque, Francisco Francovella. I mean, there's a list of mm-hmm. artists that he's worked with in the past that I... He likes Jock a lot, too, for some yeah, reason. Yeah, Jock, too, yeah. So, I mean, like, I could honestly see him coming on six months. Maybe Capullo comes back and is on Detective. Maybe not. Maybe Snyder then decides he's going to go do something else. As he said that he, you know, he has said that he wants to work on other characters at DC. You know, I'm not going to hold it against the guy if he wants to take a break from Gotham after doing Gotham for, you know, over five years. So in my mind, I'd be completely okay with it if that was the case. As much as I would like to see him do something different and, you know, maybe, maybe if he gets a different artist, there's a different tone of the title, you know, who knows? I enjoyed Black Mirror. I haven't enjoyed a lot of the other stuff that he's done since Black Mirror as much as Black Mirror. And maybe it has more to do with the art than it does the actual stories. I don't know. <laughs> and we won't be able to find that out unless he actually, unless something like this actually happens. But he is officially, as he is sta- stating, off of Batman with 50, after 51. So that's that. Uh, the last bit of really news, but it, like I said, it's late news, is we're going to talk about the numbers for December. I'm going to breeze through these pretty quickly because at this point, we're pretty much a month behind reporting these. Um, but total comic sales for December 5th, December 2015 was 7.95 million issues. The annual per, annual percentage change from the previous year was 18% more. Uh, DC total market share was 29.93% and the TVU market share was 19.88. So about, uh, two thirds of the entire DC market share again was TBU. Um, so the biggest thing is <laughs> when we look at a book like Dark Knight 3, number two went from 450,000 issues down to 158. Yeah, yeah, pile on, go on. So as two episodes ago, at the very end of the episode, Ed said, you know, we're going to be talking about how Dustin was right. Yes, this is what he was referring to. Um, the sales for Dark Knight 3 dropped pretty significantly. What is more surprising to me is uh, the Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles debuted at 134, which actually outsold Batman number 47. So very surprised by that, I think. It's probably the first time in a long time that a crossover between a major publisher and not one of the big two publishers has been that successful. Uh, the oh, sale, it's got to be, right? Yeah, the sale rank was number four, and that for in a lot of ways, I bet uh, IDW, I believe, is the publishing company behind Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That is correct. They have to be like over the moon the, about yeah, how well the this is done. Yeah. So. 
I quite pleased by that. I mean, I enjoyed it. I was looking forward to that. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is something I grew up on, and I thoroughly enjoy. And my son enjoys the cartoon, the current cartoon, and we have a ton of the you know current action figures and things like that. Uh, not that the comic necessarily deals specifically with what's going on in the, in the cartoon and things like that, but I was thoroughly in, in invested into seeing what would happen with this, and I I enjoyed it, and I know that. Ryan over on the website who's been reviewing the book has enjoyed it as well. So uh, it's been getting rave reviews across the Internet, um, and I'm expecting issue number two when we talk about sales. Hopefully next episode for January, I don't think this one is going to – I don't think it's going to drop nearly as much as Dark Knight 3 did, which just cements the – and even though – and the funny thing is the Batman Ninja Turtles one did have some variants, not nearly to the crazy degree that Dark Knight 3 did, but it did have a couple, you know, exclusive variants and things like that that they did have. I do remember reporting on that back in November, I think it was, when they announced them. So, um, it's interesting. Uh, Batman number 47 was at, uh, number five with 127k. Uh, next up, Harley's Black Book number one debuted at 92k. Uh, Justice League 47 at number 11. Uh, Harley Quinn number 23, number 22, ranked at 22. Justice League of America number six ranked at number thirty-five. Batman Europa number two, number forty. Now this is another one that I want to talk about. Batman Europa basically dropped a significant amount. Now oh, this like one, a stone, yeah, yeah. This one debuted last month at I believe it was just under a hundred k. Yeah, it's like eighty-five, ninety, something like that. Yeah, yeah. But it dropped about thirty-five percent, which. Still not as much as the 65% drop that Dark Knight 3 number 2 had, but still an incredible amount for the amount of, yeah. amount of hype that they put behind that book. Uh, Detective Comics number 47 was ranked at number 50, Robin War number 1 and number 52. And we had uh, the Batman Eternals at number 57, 58, 60, and 61, and 63. Every issue that yeah, it goes right down. There. Every yeah. time they release an issue, less people buy it. It's just that simple. All right, so then uh, diving into the books that are meeting expectations, uh, just running through the list, Grayson, uh, Robin, Son of Batman, Harley Quinn, Power Girl, which is now ended, Batman, Superman, We Are Robin, Batgirl, uh, The new, new Suicide Squad, Teen Titans, Red Hood, Arsenal, DC Comics, Bombshells, Gotham Academy, Batman Beyond, Black Canary, Earth 2 Society, and Titans Hunt. Uh, as far as books in danger, uh, Batman 66 meets the man from Uncle, number one. This one, the debut issue, only sold 17000 Now, funny enough, uh, this is also a crossover with IDW. Um, and this one clearly is not <laughs> having the same effect. Now, I made a comment. I think it was, yeah, I did, did make a comment on the actual article, uh, talking about Man of, Man from Uncle. Uh, the Man from Uncle, uh, not seeing this as something that would be, there's a ton of fans behind Man from Uncle. I understand that it was a movie last year. The movie wasn't horrible. I, I don't think it was that great, but, you know. I finally uh, saw it after Stella said it was good. It's actually, it's fun. I like yeah, it. Yeah, like, I enjoyed I like it. Movie. Yeah. I'm not saying it was a bad movie, but I don't think it's nearly on par with all the other, like, spy-type movies that we have seen more recently. This is a Guy Ritchie movie. True. And and, and if you like, I, I think Guy Ritchie is one of those guys like Tarantino. You either like him or you dislike his film. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's, but it's I think it's weird because style. there's a lot of movies that he's done where I like, and then there's a couple movies that I'm not so great. I, I don't worry. I'm not a huge fan of. It's like with him, it's like yes or no. It's not. There's no middle ground with me. Um, but anyway, 
Um, the, 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 the sales for Robinson of Batman was, uh, they weren't, this, there's a couple things that were, okay, I forgot. I, I, I'm skipping ahead here. Looks like it. Oh, books in danger. So Batman 66, man meets man from uncle. That was, uh, in that, uh, just league unlimited on, uh, United, I should say, uh, also ended that month. Batman Arkham Knight number 11 also ended Arkham Knight Genesis number five. Uh, that was the second to last issue. Catwoman, Secret Six, Batman Jeez. 66, which ended, yeah. Justice League 3001, Injustice, Annual Number One, which that book, I don't know what it is, but that book tends to have really bad sales or sales to begin with, but they keep doing it. So that digital stuff must that be That book amazing. won't die. Yeah. Uh, Gotham by Midnight, which was the last issue, and then Midnighter Number Seven is the bottom of the list, ranked at 191, a 30 rank drop. Uh, selling only 11,000 issues. So I can't, I can't comprehend how that book is still being produced. I mean, how's there has Catwoman be... going to stay around? Look at Catwoman's numbers. Oh, Cat, yeah. Catwoman. You just... think it's all because Genevieve left? Uh, well, I don't think she left. I think she was forced out, but I get what you she mean. Got fired. What? Yes. Oh yeah. Hands Why down. Do she got, that? she got kicked she got out. Because if you look at Catwoman from the issue that she was on to the issue, the next issue, which Frank Thierry took over, the issues went from, you know, her feeling like her last issue felt completely rushed. Like she had no intention of doing what she was doing. And then not only that, but then the next issue when Frank Thierry takes over, he's actually throwing some of her stuff under the bus. And as you read, you continue to read, uh, Catwoman, specifically this month's issue of Catwoman, uh, the, this month's, yeah, this month's, the, the issue that came out, this past week of Catwoman, they're actually like getting rid of certain things like how Killer Croc was working with Catwoman. Killer Croc is now hunting down Catwoman. They're, they're, and, and they're making mentions of the stuff that happened before, but it's kind of like, this wasn't good, so we're changing it. And that's the kind of stuff you see when, you know, someone is told, okay, you're going to come on this book and you're going to give this book new life because we want this book to have new life. Now, the funny thing is the sales for the book shows that Changing it did not make any sense because now they've just completely hit rock bottom. That, that's when it's got to get canceled. I mean, you can't just hover around 15,000 copies. I Am mean, I the only just... one that thought that that book was good under Genevieve Valentine? It was great under her. Oh, no, I agree. Oh, okay. Yeah. No, we, yeah, I think, like, universally, a lot of comic fans enjoyed it. It's just the problem was it was a noir book that, probably was not meant to have like crazy 30k 40k sales here's the other thing too criticism or or how well a book's wrote and i mean this it's going to sound terrible seems to have almost no bearing on how many oh, yeah. copies it sells oh look i at, agree look look you just brought up a mega man a little bit but by our soon-to-be scribe of batman tom king yeah. It is generally considered by reviewers and comic stores, and I even saw some mainstream reviewers that review regular books that reviewed Omega Men and talk about how um, what an amazing story it is. Right? Nobody's buying it; selling eight thousand copies a month. Yeah, you know, it which is un- which is unfair, but unfortunately true. Yeah. The problem is that in today's day and age, I don't think that comic reviews in general make any sort of difference whether or not a book sells well or not. I really don't think it does. It really just comes down to, I think, the publicity behind it and the, the. Name on the front of the cover. Yeah, the name on the front of the cover. Or not necessarily, like, not necessarily the creator, but the, the actual character. The character and the creator. I think that's yeah. all that matters. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Tom King, I don't think anybody really knows who he is outside of, like, 
probably the same circle of people who are reviewing the books, you know, because he hasn't been on that many big things. All right. So anyway, so just a couple of quick notes, uh, that I, that I made mention on this. Um, the first thing I want to talk about is Robinson of Batman was the opposite of almost all the other books that was included with Robin War. This book actually did not get a boost from the event of Robin War. Um, and my, my guess on this, I don't have anything to really back this up, but I'm guessing that the people who are buying Robin, Son of Batman, are looking for a Damien-centric story, and they don't care about what's going on. Not that they don't care, but it's not as big of a concern about what's happening in Gotham, what's happening with the other TBU characters, what's happening within the DC Universe, because it's not hasn't dealt with that at all. So I'm guessing that as soon as one issue deals with, you know, the... Robin War and brings the character into the mix of all this other stuff, people aren't really going to care because the character is so far removed from everything else that's going on normally. Well, I think, too, that if you want to read Damien, this is where you get him. It's not like, well, I could pick up, uh, you know, Tim Drake and Tim Ty- Teen Titans, and he's in Batman and Robin Eternal, and he's in Robin War, and he, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think this is the Robin book, and I think, too, don't understand the, understand the undersell the creator here. Gleason isn't Scott Snyder, but he has a very loud fan base. Have you ever noticed that? Like yes. Gleason's got it, Gleason's fans kind of remind me of, uh, not in a bad, what well, kind of in a bit. Well, anyway, they kind of <laughs> remind me of, of, uh, Gail Simone's fans. You mm-hmm. know, you know how Gail Simone could write like the worst comic book ever and her fans are like, it's was you're stupid. You don't get it. You know? And it's like, yeah, but you know what I'm saying? Like Gleason's got that fan base that, and I like Gleason's work. I don't think he's a bad writer, by the way. He's a damn good artist, too. Yeah, and I think the reason why he has the fan base that he has is because he's worked with that character for such a long period of time. Yes. You know, he was on Batman and Robin since the beginning. He's been the constant artist. He's only taken it off a couple issues. Then he transitioned to writing the series along with drawing it uh, with Robin, son of Batman. So I think, like... That's probably why, because he's been doing, he's been working on the character for such a long period of time. Now, the other thing is, the other title that part of Robin War that did, also didn't have a boost from sales was Teen Titans. Um, so to a degree, it can almost say that Tim is, because Tim also is rarely involved with TBU stuff. I know he's involved in, uh, Eternal right now, but it shows in a way that despite the crossover, fans of certain books do not tend to pick up others if they know how the characters are portrayed in their own book and how connected they normally are to the Batman universe. Meaning, if your Teen Titans series is not going to be having anything to do with this Robin War stuff come the next month, why would you even care about it that month? So that's why sales could dip for a title. And same thing with Robin, Son of Batman. You know that Next month, uh, you know, January is going to roll around. You know that Damien's not going to be dealing with the other Robins. Why bother picking up the issue that month? You, you see what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I get it. So, and then, uh, yeah, that's basically all my notes on sales. So, sales in general, I mean, not spectacular across the board, but not super bad. So. I'm just, cu- I'm very curious to see what will happen when Snyder leaves Batman. And goes to detective. If he goes to detective, which we don't know if he is or isn't, but if he goes to detective, I want. I'm curious to see what happens to the sales numbers in those books. Yeah, it'll be interesting to just compare a lot of different things once we get oh, that, that big creative, creative change. Yeah. yeah. All right. So that is all of our news. We're gonna dive straight into our comic reviews, and the first one we've got is Batman. Batman number forty nine. Writer Scott Snyder. 
artist Yannick Paquette. This is going to be kind of an abbreviated summary because a lot of it is too nutty for me to sum up what's going on in the background with some of the art. But essentially, we I start was, off. Oh, no. I was, I was depending on you to explain. <laughs> some of it is unexplainable. Um, we start off in a possible future where Bruce is the mayor of Gotham City and apparently has control of the Court of the Owls and the talents have become some type of, of honor guard. And he, Bruce is going to run out and save the city. Um, and then we're back to the where we, we, we kind of dropped it off at the end of, of number 48. And, uh, you know, Bruce is there with Alfred and he's, he's pleading him to go down and show him the cave. Um, Alfred asks, you know, how, how bad, it, bad it's gotten. And, and Bruce says that it looks like Jim Gordon may have been maybe dead and he could have been ripped apart on live television by Mr. Bloom. That Bruce says he knows he's Batman. And then we see another flash to a, another future possible Batman thing again. Some of these are just. You'd have to read it. Anyway, uh, Bruce makes his way into the cave with Alfred behind him the entire way, and he's trying to convince him to stop the whole way down. Um, Alfred explains to Bruce that, that pre-endgame Bruce uh, had a dream of being able to recreate and clone Batman, uh, which something Dustin had brought up quite a bit over the time, um, but that a blank mind was nibble, never able to take the stress of having the mind of Batman imprinted on him. Um, and Bruce says that maybe this is way to have a new Batman and a better Batman, one without the trauma. Uh, the machine itself that's supposed to be this mind wipe cloning magic machine, um, appears inoperable, but there is one protocol the machine says will work. It's called the Alfred protocol. And this is a backup of Bruce's mind that he conveniently backed up just before he left to fight Joker in Endgame. Um, Bruce believes the protocol was named Alfred because he's the one who always patched him up. We then see several more futures and outcomes in Bruce's mind of what could possibly be cloned Batman in the future, including one driving a golden cycle bike into the sky. Um, and then Alfred refuses to, to run the program again. Um, then we see Julie show up, and she says that, that, that she will do it. Um, basically, the, the, the explanation that they keep running this program and trying to imprint prior in-game Bruce's mind on current Bruce, it's going to destroy him. Um, she says that she has always known that, that Bruce used to be Batman, but that it's really bad outside and Olivia is gone, which is the girl from the clinic that took the pill in the last episode, uh, issue, and that the city is being teared apart. Um, he agrees that, that he won't, Bruce says, you know, they're not going to be able to remember his time he spent with, with Julie, that this will be imprinted over it and that he won't remember that, but that he loves her anyway. Uh, she go ahead and activates the switch and this time the operation is successful and we have uh, the old Bruce's mind imprinted on this, on uh, current Bruce. Uh, Bruce looks up at him and says, uh, save it. And they can tell him on the car they have work to do. And it seems that Batman is back. I'm going to leave some of this future stuff out of this uh, in a way, but this is the first question I want to ask. So Bruce is, Bruce is back as Batman. It seems. Did you find the way all these possible futures were put in to be interesting or did it feel like it was just there to be there? To a degree, I felt like it was filler. Um, not that I did, yeah. you know, not that I minded seeing these, but I felt like, to a degree, the majority of what we were being shown was filler. Um, there was, you know, there wasn't a whole lot to tell in this issue other than to get him in the costume. So why not have give the, you know, kept the ability to do some crazy stuff with some art, show some crazy versions of Batman that we'll probably never see again. Why not? But, but for the most part, it felt like it was a lot of filler. But I'm not complaining because I still think that 
for the most part, it, it was it was interesting to see, you know, these different versions of what could could have been. You know, it reminded me of the final issue of Brian Q. Miller's Batgirl run. Yep. Where, you know, where there were, um, I guess there was just one possible future, but, uh, you sort of saw, uh, what Steph's life could be like in the future. I don't know if I saw it as much as filler. I mean, I certainly, uh, those were the hardest to read, if only because your mind is really sort of thrown for a loop. But I thought it was interesting because it's still carrying on the narrative of what's happening with Bruce. I mean, it's all about, you know, trying to imprint these memories and everything. And it's it's all saying the exact same thing, but in various different ways. And him battling other things is like him trying to push forward his brain. So I thought it was very inventive how uh, they were able to do that. Um, and it was also sad and, you know, I think frankly that the most bittersweet one was the one where you almost have the, um, for the man who has everything, you know, that sort of Superman esque yeah. feel where he is there in a, a light L I T L I G H T costume, you know, instead of dark, he has Julie and a child, you know, this, this possibility of something. Um, so I, I thought it was creative. I didn't really think it was, was filler though. They were certainly the, the most difficult to follow. I guess it felt like a little stretched out to me. They were certainly interesting. Um, and by me kind of stepping over them, like I did for the summary, everyone, please go check them out. They're just, we're so much, it would be tough to explain it. You know, there's a well, lot of the other problem is the reason why I say filler also is because it doesn't necessarily pertain to anything to progress the story. The story. Forward. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I agree. They look amazing. It's definitely worth checking out. But the scene, those scenes by themselves, they do not progress the story. They're just there. That's what makes them filler in my mind. But they are enjoyable to see. Yeah. They're, they're definitely what we do as farm is in terms of moving the story forward in this issue is Bruce gets his memories back. And that's it. I mean, you could have done it in two pages, you know. Um, that being said, I think this was was cool. But I, I did feel it at some point here when I was done reading it, and and not when I was read it the first time through because it was it was fun. But then when you got done, you're like, what just happened? Bruce got his memory back, right? That's where we are, you know. Like so, mm-hmm. it, I did have that kind of feeling, a little bit of drawing something out longer than longer than necessary. And then the, the next thing we have to talk about, because I'm sure we'll get to talk about Bruce back in the cow next week, because we all don't really get to see him here except kind of being a smart aleck. The thing is, we seen within that Julie that is, she, he isn't going to remember the relationship we had with her. So my question for you is, what do you think is going to happen with the character of Julie and Bruce moving forward? And what would you like to see happen with the characters moving forward? It's interesting because, well, I, I, I have to bring up our discussion. Not dead. Yeah. yeah, she's not dead. I have to, yeah, I was going to say, uh-huh. I have to bring up the discussion that we had last time, we talked about, you know, was there something we missed? You know, was, did they skip the story? And it appears they didn't skip the story at all. It just, Bruce decided that, yeah. hey, there's something in that, you know, something in the basement of the, the matter. Alfred knows all about it. I'm going to go there. And the reason, like Stella said, the reason why Alfred was the way he was, was because he was, he didn't want to deal with Bruce possibly becoming Batman again. Um, so, you know, Julie's not dead. We didn't obviously miss anything. We still don't know how he got blood on him, though, which is kind of concerning. But, yeah, um, the streets are rough, you know? Yeah, I guess. Um, but 
as far as Julie goes, it's interesting to have her say, oh, I always knew that you were Batman. That's interesting because to a degree, we still have Jim Gordon running around not knowing that Bruce Wayne is Batman. Well, so Julie, Julie Madison well, in, in her, fairness. you know, in her hipster tattooed, uh, youth center worker ways somehow was able to deduce that, that Bruce was Batman. Um, but Jim Gordon still can't deduce it. Well, um, you know why? It's fairly obvious, right? Because he's just ignoring it. Jim's not sleeping with them. Seriously, they're sleeping together. They're living together. That's different, right? I, I'm not seeing the comparison there at all. No, just saying. What does sleeping with somebody have to, like what? She slept with Batman while he was in the collar? I'm just saying, if that's how she connected it. If but you have a relationship. Past, she's known him since he was in school. Right. And I understand that, but I don't understand why. It's like she Andrea Bowman all over again. Yeah, like how would she know that it's it's Batman if she was sleep if, just because they were sleeping together? Well, whatever they can chalk it up to whatever they want as far as why exactly they know or why she knows. I don't really care about that. I just think it's interesting that now in Snyder's Batman story, you know, in, in Batman's mythos, Julie Madison somehow has deduced it, but we still have Jim Gordon who hasn't deduced it. That just is mind-boggling to me as to how this has not happened. And I almost want it to happen. The more this stuff keeps happening, and the more I think about it, the more I think to myself, I want there to be some sort of big event-type story where Jim Gordon finds out who Bruce Wayne is and who, you know, that he's actually Batman, and that Batman has basically, you know, screwed with him all these years, and then he finds out Batgirl, and then we can just put that aside and just deal with that, because that, I think, would be interesting. Anyway... Um, as far as Julie goes, you know, the fact that Julie, you know, uh, that Bruce isn't going to remember the relationship that they had, you know, I think that Julie realizes that it's a, it's like a sacrifice that she has to give, you know, Bruce has given his life, his entire life, you know, to being Batman and to protecting the city. And this is her one way of being able to sacrifice something for, from herself to help, help Gotham city as well. So I feel bad for her. I don't think at this point, I think they did this in a, in a smart way where she doesn't have to die. Uh, there's no reason she has to die. So I think, you know, in some ways it's smart of them to do it like this. Um, but I don't know that there is a future. I mean, like other than like, she just kind of like pats Bruce on the back and says, great job at the end of the day. Go get him, kid. And they, they, they might remain, you know, on a talking basis somewhat. I don't know, but I don't, I don't see it ever, you know, I, after this story, it's probably done with. We'll be lucky if we see her. She might not be dead, but she'll be not in the pages. This is sad because, you know, I liked this relationship. I began shipping them together, and here we are. Now, on the bright side of it all, however, she is still alive. So that is nice. Um, because of everything that went down in the cave there and the fact that, you know, she's undergoing almost a Black Widow. Yes, I said it. Black Widow-esque mind wipe because... Edward Baker decided to do that, or whoever was writing it at the time it was very disappointing. Um, because he's undergoing a mind wipe and will not remember her, I feel like this is just an easy way to sort of um, detach him from any romantic entanglements. So I'm afraid that uh, he's just going to revert back to the Bruce that we had known, you know, six months prior to all of this, uh, which would be very sad, I'm afraid. But, um, yeah. I, um, I'm kind of hoping they can find some way to keep them together, to be honest with you. I mean, Bruce kind of gives this 
part of the speech where he talks about, could this be a better version of Batman without the trauma, you know? And I guess my hope for the, for the story is if, if Batman without the memories of, you know, if Bruce without the memories of Batman can learn to be Batman again, then maybe this Bruce can learn to be with Julie again. Right. Mm-hmm. Why, why can't mm-hmm. we go the other way? Um, so yeah, my hope is, is we see the impossible. If, if, you know, he can learn to be Batman, then, then this new regular old Bruce can maybe learn to love. And, and I think that would be fun because I think this is a good relationship. And to be honest with you, I think it's kind of past time for Batman to have a relationship. Not one where we kill her in six months. I mean, remember when the 52 started and we had the, the piano player and the, I mean, like every book yeah, had a love interest. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I, I definitely agree. I, I definitely agree with you. I mean, like the, in some ways it would be great to actually have her, especially knowing that she knows who he is. So they don't even have to deal with that. We're all, Pat, that's all behind us. Yeah. You know, that's already happened. You know, that would be great. Like, even if it was like Snyder's last issue and instead of just kind of like snuffing off as here, she has this last appearance in this issue. She's sacrificing her relationship with Bruce to save Gotham. You know, they put that aside and instead of this being the last time we see her, it ends up being like at the very end, he decides that while he's not in the cowl, he goes and he visits her or something and just kind of leaves it open-ended where somebody could pick this up and say, hey, you know, maybe they do get together, but not necessarily Snyder because maybe that's not what he wants to do. But I just don't want to be a close shut case, you know, she's out of the picture because I do agree it would give... Batman a little bit more, a, a different tone. I mean, it really would. I yeah. mean, like, if he would have some sort of happiness in his life, not to say that they have to get married anytime soon, because they'd have to start fresh from, like, having a new relationship and stuff, because they didn't have, you know, whatever they had prior to him getting his memories back is now gone. But if he had that little bit of happiness, maybe, you know, it, maybe we could see something different in the books. You know, and, and I, and I'm the first one to say, you know, I, I, prefer my Batman to not be campy and happy and things like that. But that's not to say he can't have happiness. Well, and I think done correctly, this could actually bring a lot of interesting stories to the book. Cause it's been a long time since Bruce had anything that resembled a serious girlfriend that wasn't Catwoman, you know? Yeah, um, agreed. plus just imagine the fun scenes of a year leading up to their quote unquote wedding and the stuff you could do with Damien and the, and the other Robins. I mean, you could have, you could add a, tone of background lightness of the book while still keeping the main story serious. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think oh, yeah. that, I think they could be missing out on a real opportunity here. And maybe it's just wishful thinking, but I would like to think that there is, is some way we can keep the two of them together. But, um, yeah. But if, cool. if Snyder's leaving in three issues, then, you know, someone's got to carry that on. Yeah, whoever's writing it next, tell Tenyon or Tomasi or Tom King or whoever does it, just pick up the ball and throw it to first. You know? Yeah, Cause I mean, it, it could, they could take it in whatever direction they want. So I just I, I think it would I just think it'd be fun. That's all, and I think that they work well, and I hope we get it. What would be really interesting though is if we had uh, the Batman biweekly because it's a biweekly and there's two issues a month delves more into his personal life, and then we have if Snyder ends up going to detective like everyone believes he's going to, he sticks with the Batman stories and the cowl sticks to the detective stories stuff like that, and he doesn't have to tell the personal life stuff. I'd be fine with that. That would work. That'd be a good way to balance it yeah. out. Yeah. So, all right. Anyway, Batman, I'm going to give a total of four out of five. 
four out of five, and just it's worth the just the the, the art scenes of the of the futures are, are worth picking up the issue alone. To be honest, I think that this is, um, and I said it before, and I think it is not in my co-host, but this arc is probably my favorite that Snyder has done on Batman, and uh, this issue in particular was just an emotional roller coaster, um, and I think just a lot of great dialogue and and great moments between. Bruce and Alfred, so I'm going to give it a five out of five. Ooh, yeah, bring it. All right, and over on the website, Corbin gave it four and a half, so that's going to give Batman number forty nine a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next book, Detective Comics. Detective Comics number forty nine, The Bronze Age, Salt of the Earth. Story and words, Peter J. Tomasi. Pencils, Fernando Pissarin. Inks, Matt Ryan. Color, Chris Sotomayor. Joan of Arc, uh, just for you out there, because I mentioned about George Washington being the major guy, uh, lending his quotes. So the quotes at the beginning part of the issue um, are from Joan of Arc. And then towards the end, uh, Robert Gould Shaw. And because I was unaware of who Robert Gould Shaw was, I would just let you know that uh, he was an American soldier in the Union Army during the Civil War, and uh, he was actually born into a prominent abolitionist family and accepted command of the first all-black regiment in the Northeast. So just some background there. So Batman cuts down the astronaut that we saw in the previous issue that was dangling from uh, a tower, a Wayne Tower, in fact. And once they're both on the ground, the body and him, he notices that they're in the center spotlight and just people are looking out of their windows, and he orders Julia to turn off the spotlight, but she takes too darn long, and he ends up shooting it out himself. At the Gotham City morgue, Jim and Harvey find out that the astronaut is meant to be Alan Shepard, the first American in space. But in reality, he's Nick Hoffman, postal worker, and he is missing a bone just like the other victim that we saw in the previous issue, and he was also asphyxiated. So it seems that he has... uh well, there seems to be a serial killer. And it also seems like he has uh, in common with the first victim the fact that there is a statue of him in Gotham somewhere. Batman goes to check out these statues and notices a strange substance on them. At downtown Gotham, a co-ed is chloroformed and kidnapped by this killer. And then she is tied to a stake in a set of armor and set on fire, a la Joan of Arc. Batman jumps out of the blimp because it's hovering around there and knocks the killer down and removes his mask. But, of course, he does not see his face. He rescues the girl and the killer runs off, sadly. Later, Harvey and Jim discuss the case and the plethora of statues uh, that they need to keep tabs on while Jim looks in on Babs making some dinner. So this is the second issue that he's checked in on his daughter. And then at the uh, Crest, no, at the Woodcrest Cemetery, the killer and his dog survey the different kidnappees that he has. He puts on a mask that resembles Robert Gould Shaw and, and later steals a horse at the West Side Horse Livery Stable. While meeting with the Batman squad, there's an alert and Batman leaps to the city below to see a Union battalion dead and marching through the streets kind of like a float in a parade, led by a horse. And next up we have, little alliteration here, Martyrs and Mad Men. So 
So this is the second issue with this particular villain. Uh, he's taking bones, as we see in, in this one. We uh, One of the victims lost uh, a bone in the arm. And then Joan of Arc, though still alive, lost her uh, metacarpal. Uh, do you have any thoughts about what these different bones could, like, what's the significance of the bones? And, you know, it's only two issues in, we've not seen his face, of course. But do you have any thoughts on who this villain is? Or is he just... A new villain. I think he's probably a new villain. I honestly, I can't think of the significance behind the bones. I haven't connected anything myself. Um, I, like, I, I did say this last episode, but I don't think it, like, I don't think it ties to this in any way. But, like, I, the idea of putting somebody's face over his own just screams Jane Doe. But the problem is that this isn't a girl, it's a guy. So, I uh-huh. mean, like, unless this is a John Doe character, and it's just a playoff of the Jane Doe character... I don't know that it does have any sort of connection. Um, I'm guessing, well, I'm, it's a pretty educated guess at this point because I don't, I can't connect it in any way, shape, or form to anybody else, but I don't think this is anybody that, you know, we've, we've seen previously. I'm guessing that this is a, a new villain. And it, it wouldn't be unheard of because Tomasi has, had, has created his fair share of, you know, characters over his time at, over at Batman and Robin and some of the other titles he's worked on. So yeah, I don't know why. I keep thinking this because it doesn't really make any sense at all, but I'm thinking one of the other clay faces through the years, you know, that, I don't know, it seems like something that seems like a clay face type story, a clay face that's lost their powers or something, but that really doesn't make any sense the more I think of it. Um, I think this is a new, I think this is a new person too. And I'm okay with that. Like if anybody kind of gets like, like Dustin hinted at, if anyone kind of gets the ability to make up a new character and really doesn't bother me, bother me, Tomasi kind of gets that free pass, right? So. Yeah, I'm good with I'm good with him doing a new one. I find the character interesting, that's for sure. And it may be because we're all semi history buffs, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah. I I'm not sure about the, the bones. Like I'm trying to I sort of either. put that I can't together. think of anything, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you know, it's like a Pygmalion esque character where maybe he's trying to assemble mm. his own person, you know, via bones. Um I did have a crazy thought, but I was trying to think of where he was when we last left him, but um the dates, you know, just the fact that Harvey pulled out, you know, a significant date and I, all of these people, uh, are pretty significant in history. I wondered if Calendar Man had like undergone like a really big facelift Ooh. maybe and is, is doing this stuff because these people have big moments in yeah, history. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, that's um, an interesting thought. I, I don't know. That's just someone that I've sort of been ruminating about, but th- it would be a huge change for him, but still keeping in line with, you know, his, his historical thought, but since Harvey was talking about, he knew all that stuff. Would kind of make him more of a credible threat too. Like yeah. the guy with this level of planning and, and that would make, that would make calendar man certainly a more interesting piece in the board. That's, that's, that's a good theory. I like that. Cause I feel like the last time I saw him was in that one annual, right? Where he was yes. Yeah. It was the, yeah, it was the detective comics annual, Yeah, but he, and it was a completely different version of the character too. Right, Cause he was right. kind of like a thug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my other question is about, well, I mean, Bruce is coming back as Batman. So that, you know, it leaves a big question mark as to what position Jim Gordon will be in. I think recently we've seen him more as like a down to earth guy that is having actual personal relationships with people, like actually talking to Harvey Dent. I'm not Dent, my goodness. Harvey Bullock and, and, you know, reminiscing about old times and then 
checking in on his daughter, which is something that we've not really seen a lot at all and having a relationship with her. So do you see the character like diverging from the cop path or do you see him taking any sort of new direction after he takes off the Batman cowl? Here's here here's the thought that well I mean here's the thing we know from the solicitations from uh after 50 50 wraps up this storyline I believe and then 51 which we saw last month which comes out in April has him going to, it's a I'm assuming a two issue story arc that deals with him going to help somebody outside of Gotham an old marine buddy um, but he takes one of the, he takes one of the robot, robotic suits with him. Um, but like, if we're talking about after rebirth or whatever we're gonna, whatever's gonna happen, happen, where does Jim Gordon go after that? I don't know. I mean, like, it's hard to say. I don't know that he could go back to being the commissioner. Although that would make the most sense, but the only way I could see that happening is if like, I really wouldn't want to chalk it up to like, oh, by the way, Bruce is back. I'm going to grow my mustache back. Uh, I'd like to get my job back. Maggie Sawyer's like, oh, well, by the way, I'll step down because we know that you're the better commissioner. Because it, in some ways, it kind of negates all that stuff that happened from Batman Eternal mm-hmm. and the stuff, the fallout from Batman Eternal. Um, so I don't know that that is what the direction we could go. Now, what I could see is maybe and this is just hopeful thinking when it comes to, you know, Gordon being brought into the fold of the Bat family, but maybe he's just becomes an agent of the Bat. I mean, to a degree. I mean, if he has a suit, he could do, he could do things. I don't know that, he, you know, he has to, I don't know that he has to give up the suit completely. I just think that he has to get away from working with, uh, the Powers Corporation, which, I'm pretty sure somehow, like I've said before, Bloom is going to be tied to the Powers Corporation, and that's going to end up making this that whole thing fall apart. But if that's the case, I don't. I mean, I I don't know if Jim, like I don't see Jim going back to his normal day to day. I'm going to stand on the building waiting for Batman to show up. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't see that happening. So I mean, like I would hope that somehow he, there is a place for him that just doesn't feel like we're getting rid of the character because he served his 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 point for, you know, a Snyder story, which I hate to say it seems to happen more often than not with certain characters. Well, I think that Jim is learning one of the most valuable lessons in life, one that we've all seen meme to death on the Internet, you know. But, you know, you should always be yourself unless you can be Batman, then be Batman, you know. So Jim gets to play Batman, and I think he's been fun in it. I, I mean – it's it's been an interesting ride. Jim has definitely handled it a lot different than our typical Bruce story. Um, I would like to see him continue in some way. I, I don't know how you do it realistically. Like like Dustin said, maybe he could become an agent of the Bat. Maybe he could go post up in I don't know whatever San Francisco, Seattle. I don't I mean I don't know. I mean I, I would be interested to see him. Maybe he could become a roving Batman. Um, I could see an interesting book with maybe Jim working as a liaison with the armed forces because of his previous military history is the military Batman advice. I mean, I just think that I think there's ways they could take the character. And I, I think that you're right, Dustin. I think if they took him back to grow out your mustache and, and stand around smoking 20 cigarettes a day and, and waiting for Batman to show up on a rooftop, then I think you lose, which what could be the very interesting character development we've had for Jim Gordon. I mean, there's been some Jim Gordon series over the years that have been good. You know, um, there's been a lot of good Gordon 
stories over the year, but this, when was the last time his character changed this much, right? This was a huge stepping stone for the character, so I would like to have us not lose it. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not even so locked into what they do with him exactly. Just don't lose what we've brought to the character now. I'm wondering if he's going to take a break from law enforcement after this somehow. I just feel like I don't, I don't see him as Batman anymore. He's a very different character than when he started in the suit now. And, of course, you know, it's a, it's a different writer, which I completely understand. But I, I just feel like it's going in, in some sort of direction, you know, him talking to Harvey as if, you know, back to friendship, uh, checking in on his daughter um, and, and, and watching her. I feel like if... Um, you know, all this is resolved with Bloom and, and everything. He takes a step back. He takes like a full step back and actually, um, leaves the, the force for a time. Um, and then, you know, I don't know what that means, but, but I feel like there are possibilities that we could see him, uh, as an off duty cop. You know, what does that mean to be an off duty cop for someone who's made a career of it? And I think we, we see pieces of that, and especially, you know, in, in Batgirl 47, I think we very recently saw it, um, where he's at the diner with Babs, and, and, you know, they're interacting, and he's got the bruises on his face from the interactions with Bloom, but he's there. So uh, that's what I'm thinking. I just feel like there are these really personal moments, and, and I think they're, they are there for a reason. All right, so Detective Comics, I'm going to give a total of three and a half out of five. I'm a four, four and five. Like, I really, really liked it. I'm going to say four as well. All right, and Corbin gave it four as well, so that's going to give Detective Comics number 49 a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next set of books, Batman and Robin Eternal. Batman and Robin Eternal number 18. This one, script by Ed Brisson, art by Scott Eaton. At least that's who they're attributing the art to. Uh, th- Is that this- uh, I'll dive into that when we get to, uh, some okay. guy. Yeah. Um, this one starts off with Red Robin describing to, uh, Dr. Nets about the Ichthris, uh, virus that they're, ta- that, uh, they, they, dis- they, they discovered in the previous issue. Um, they're talking about what, you know, what the goal is, what is the plan behind this. Meanwhile, below we have, uh, in, in the Spirals prison, uh, David Kane telling Cassandra that she knows something, but she doesn't want to admit it about Cassandra. Uh, we then see that, uh, in the flashback, Batman is getting beaten up by David Kane. Uh, mother says, I'm tired of this. Just get it over with. Orphan, kill him. Um, in the process, Batman suddenly gets a surge of adrenaline and, uh, takes him out. Um, an explosion goes off caused by some wall place grenades that Batman throws separating uh, David Kane from Mother because some debris falls on top of David Kane. Uh, Mother is actually stuck. She can't get out. Um, and Batman tells the boy that was with them, don't move. She, he, in turn, goes to Mother and says, well, it's over. It's all over. And she says, ah, it's, th- this is nothing. I've been through a lot worse because her leg is pinned. And he, and he says, well, no, it's it's completely over. And he goes... And she basically says, no, while this has all been going on, uh, something's been happening in Gotham City. He tell, She tells him to take out a little device. It's not a weapon. It's actually a projector. The projector he shines onto the screen, and we see two people, uh, Marcus and Miranda Rowe, 
stealing copper out of a building. Um, and the two of them are talking about how, uh, Miranda, the, the, the wife and what, and obviously the mother of Harper Row is actually saying that this place creeps her out. Marcus is stating, well, they need to get as much copper as they can because it'll help them survive the winter. Meanwhile, back at the prison, we have David Kane explaining that Sculptor didn't want uh, Harper to know what Cassandra did, but she knows it anyway. And uh, Harper then realizes that Cassandra was the one who killed her mother. Uh, we then see during the flashback, we see Cassandra approach Marcus and Miranda. Um, we see that Marcus, uh, that Cassandra was supposed to kill both of her parents because Harper Rowe was designated to be the Robin that mm. Batman went to mother for. Do you regret all the bad things you said about Harper now? No. Um, we then see Cassandra. She goes for, uh, Miranda first and she kills her. Uh, Marcus runs away. Uh, Cassandra ultimately fails because she lets Marcus escape and she doesn't she ends up crying. Um, how in the world there must be like little drones just filming the entire sequence because I don't know how else they could see this through a little device. But anyway, uh, though, during this whole exchange, we see that Batman tries to get in contact with Dick Grayson to stop it, but he can't get any signal out of the building. We then see, uh, David Kane explain that Harper was meant to be the new Robin, but Batman decided to not do anything and he threw her to the wolves and let her be on her own because not only did uh, he not bring her into the fold as Robin, but he left her with her, her father who left her mother to die. Uh, we then see uh, Batman in the flashback. He's pretty ticked about all of this. Uh, mother says, oh, this is all your fault. And he goes, this was not my fault. And he, she says, no, you're the one who wanted to play games with us. You thought you could outwit us, but you couldn't. Then she crunches a cyanide tablet or whatever in her, in her mouth and Batman decides to pull out a, uh, antidote that he's about to stab her with saying, you're not going to get away this easy. Here it is when all of a sudden the boy that he told to stay put clearly did not stay put and went and got a bunch of police officers. Um, the boy tells the police officers, that's the person who killed my parents. He shot my parents. He tried to kill me. Now he's, look what he's doing to that poor woman. Batman says, nope, I'm trying to save her. They don't care. They just open fire on him. Uh, mother presumably dies. Uh, Batman escapes. And in the present time, we see, uh, the, uh, they're all, uh, Red Hood, Dick Grayson, Red Robin, Cassandra, and Dr. Nets are all sitting there trying to figure out what exactly mother's plan is when suddenly they realize that the best place to use this ichthys uh, uh, virus thing is where there's a large amount of children who are going to listen to mother. Um, so they start thinking about places that could be, and lo and behold, one of the best places for it could be a school filled with a bunch of places that are a bunch of kids who are trying to be deadly spies. Mm-hmm. Um, as they lock themselves inside of the room, saying that there's no way that they're going to be able to get in, we see that Harper Row is obviously, they've just realized now that Harper Row is separated from everybody as she's down inside of the prison crying. So, next up, spiraling down. All right. So the next issue, issue number 19, this one has script by Tim Seeley, art by Paul Pletier. 
Um, this one starts off with uh, somebody who works at the school going to get their morning cup of coffee when a school bus crashes into the coffee shop, and we see a bunch of children get out of their uh, get out of the school bus screaming, saying "mother, mother, mother," and they are trying to kill the adults. Meanwhile, at the school, another teacher is trying to uh, take out. Uh, some students, she decides that she's going to start unloading on them with her gun. She gets shot in the hand by uh, somebody else who happens to be an older, somebody who's older, uh, not a teenager. And uh, they try to escape the throngs of uh, these deadly people chasing them. Meanwhile, in the basement level of uh, Spiral, we see Harper. She suddenly, she's, she's becoming, she's, Turning under the control of Mother, she grabs her taser and she decides that she needs to kill the adults in the room, which happened to be David Kane and Poppy Ashmore. Um, but then all of a sudden, Red Hood comes down and goes, hey, we're all good down here. Uh, he realizes that she's taken over by, or she's, she's under the control of Mother, and Red Hood presumably gets taken out, but the scene cuts to another scene where we see all of the people in the control room trying to figure out exactly how they're going to get out of this. We are then, we are then told that uh, there is a giant satellite up in space from spiral that has the ability to have hypnos. And clearly that's what mother's trying to get a hold of is this satellite so that she can have her ichthys virus, whatever mind brainwashing thing take over children all over the world and spiral is just the first step in that uh, we then cut to the uh, basement where harper and red hood are both lying on the ground and david kane somehow got out of his thing he explains it as the tasers took out the entire system uh, we then see that uh, as they uh, are as David Kane's trying to take out Harper Rowe, we see that a number of children have come down and tried to attack them. Uh, Poppy and David Kane, they tried to escape. Meanwhile, in the control room, the sound is suddenly getting to Cassandra and Tim, and they realize that they are now under the control of Mother as well. Uh, they then, uh, this Helena Bertinelli decides to take it upon herself to purposely beat the hell out of Cassandra because I guess she has something against Cassandra uh, in the process of attempting to murder her with her crossbow. Dick says, don't do it. She doesn't have any control over what's going on. This is all the doing of mother. Meanwhile, somehow Tim is able to briefly say the only way to, the only thing that's going to be able to overcome this is, is uh, scarecrow's gas who Dr. Nets just happens to have some scarecrow gas connected to a mask in this control room and links it up to uh, Red Robin's face. Um, as he starts to breathe in, of course, there's some side effects. He's starting to experience some, the fear toxin. Uh, they, Helena is still beating the hell out of Cassandra, and uh, Cassandra ends up breaking Helena's nose, and blood is everywhere. They end up getting a gas mask, gas mask on uh, Cassandra as well, so the two of them are dealing with horrific images, but they're not under the control of Mother. Uh, meanwhile, uh, as this ha as this all happens, uh, Tim says he's gonna or Tim is told he's gonna stay there with Doctor Nets. Dick says that Helena and Cassandra are gonna go with him to try to get the other people from the basement. Um, meanwhile, the entire school uh, presumably is being completely run over by a number of children under the control of Mother. Um, in the basement, we have Red Hood 
who has now awoken from his slumber and is being in, and is in the middle of a fight with a number of the, the spies from, or well, the spies in training from Spiral in the school. Uh, Dick Grayson shows up. They decide to start fighting with each other. Or, and then, uh, Harper Rowe attempts to go after them as well. When, uh, Cassandra ends up grabbing Harper, slaps a gas mask onto her face. And now Harper is experiencing a horrific scene of Cassandra being this evil person, presumably from the grudge. Um, and then we what? have, oh I'm just saying, that's what it looked like to me. Um, and then we have Harper. The Sarah Michelle Geller movie? Yes. Yes. You don't see that? Is it just me? She, she sees that. And as she sees this horrific image, she decides she needs to kill this horrific thing. And she attacks Cassandra with her hands gripping around Cassandra's neck. Next up, revenge. So, real quick story points. Conveniently, the one place that they all go to that, uh, you know, to try to figure out exactly what Mother's Plan is, is where Mother's Plan is going to be into, put into effect. I have to say it's super convenient. Um, I... There's, there's not a whole lot that happens in these issues. Uh, there's, there's... The big reveal, obviously, is that Harper is the Robin that was intended for Batman by mother. Um, we see that her, that, that her mother was killed by Cassandra. Okay. You know, we kind of already pieced that together from the, the issue with sculptor. That's not really that big of a surprise. Um, but here we actually see the situation of how her father escaped, you know, not escaped, but got away and, and why he didn't get killed. Um, it's interesting though, to see that Harper was intended to be this Robin that mother had planned out for him. Um, let's, let's just go on those, on that thought for a second. Uh, I have to say, you know, Stella, you, you said, oh, does this make you take back some of the bad things you said about Harper? Uh-huh. I, I'm highly, highly doubting that Harper in any way, shape, or form. This was the original conceived idea of Harper when, no. she, was, oh, yeah, when no. she was introduced. No. This was no. how can we bring Harper more into the mix? Yeah. And this is what they did. Um so the thing for me is I don't think that this was a bad way to do it. You know, to a degree, I think they were kind of like it, it I don't know who else it could have been. Um, you know, we talked about this I think last episode where, you know, who could be the Robin that they intended and I will be the first to admit that I never thought it was Harper because I just didn't think it. Everybody kept sitting here thinking it was, it was somebody, you know, who was actually a Robin at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out it wasn't a Robin at all. It was Harper. So thoughts on that? Uh, thoughts on that. Okay. So I don't really like, um, the way this is done, to be honest with you. With Harper, I mean, I get the point. Like, I totally get you what you're saying to us, and like trying to bring her more into the fold, create a better backstory for her, right? But one, we have to believe that Batman knows that it was Harper, right? He knows from the story we see that Harper is the makeshift Robin. And when we first pick up Harper's story in Batman when Snyder wrote her, her and her brother are living in poverty. I can't believe that Batman would know that that uh, something directly related to him is how another child lost his parents, and he's going to let him live in the Narrows. I don't... Well, not just live in the Narrows, but live in poverty. Crime. Basically, they're, yeah. they're, her father's in jail, and they're just living on their own, and this is all because of him, and he's just sat back just and cool said, with oh, it? Okay. <laughs> Tough luck. Yeah, sucks to be you. You know, like, yeah. uh, I find that part unbelievable. 
you know, um, I, I, could, I told you, I can, I can see that almost. I wish that they, and, and I'm not a big fan of this, but I wish they just retconned it. You know what I'm saying? Um, had showed them living in the outskirts of Gotham or so. I mean, I just can't, I can't see Bruce just letting it go down that, that he is directly responsible essentially for their parents being killed all because of mother and her trying to make a Robin for him and this ridiculous game that he played where he acted like he was going to kill people. Um, I just find it to be bad. And, and I, I guess one of the reasons too is that I always kind of like Harper. So I didn't need her to be rewrote. You know, to me, she was just a character that was gaining some footing as being part of the family. And it would be years before she had the same standing as a Tim Drake or something like that. But I'm fine with that. Um, I think that this kind of rejiggling of her, her, of her origin is silly. And I think it makes Batman look like an, an ass. So not a big fan of it, to be honest. Gotta say, this series has done a really good job of that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Making Batman look like an ass. Yeah, it really has. I was pleasantly surprised, if only because I think we were all expecting, um, you know, a, a well-established Robin. You know, we were thinking, was it Tim? Was it Damien? We're sort of going back and forth with that. So I liked that it was it was a dark horse. It was one that none of us really thought about. Um, so I think that's intriguing. I think where it falls short is just the, the history that Harper has, um, I, which is, I guess, you know, really what Ed is getting to, um, because Batman was so resentful towards her in, during the Court of the Owls, or Night of the Owls, whatever that storyline's called. Remember <laughs> when Court he told her, Owls. when she helped him out of the, like, the frozen lake and he said, I told you never to come back. So, I mean, you'd think that given this trauma that inevitably she had gone through and he knew about, you'd think he'd be more heartwarming. So that sort of thing doesn't jive up for the exact reason that doesn't said is that this was not certainly planned from the beginning, from the inception of, you know, Harper Rose character. So on the one hand, I like it because it was shocking. I didn't see it coming. But on the other hand, um, I feel like it, it wasn't, uh, built in well enough. And I don't think she needs this story to be, to come into the bat fold. I think she's a uh, little by little been coming into it anyways. Um, I mean, she's, she popped up in Batgirl. I'm sure she's going to pop up again. Uh, she was in the, the first Eternal, right? She was in Batman's own book. So, you know, for someone to be already dotted throughout, I think she's in the fold. Um, she's certainly in thicker with them than Batwoman is, who's always on sure. the outskirts for whatever reason. So she didn't really need this, um, but it, it could have been better now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you guys. I mean, in some ways... Like I said, it, it's it, other than to bring her more into the fold, but forced into the fold, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, the other, there's not, there's not really any other plot points here that I really want to discuss other than mother takes a cyanide tablet, yet she's alive. How do you come back from that? Now, the only thing that I can remember is that there was, uh, in Skyfall, James Bond movie, uh, the villain, he took a cyanide tablet and he lost like half his face and that's what happened, but he didn't die. He just lost half his, half his face. Um, so I'm wondering to myself, 
Like, I just drew the comparison as to, hmm, she's still alive. She's clearly older. It's not like she has, it's a different version of herself or something like that. Um, she's not immortal. I still don't think we're going to get suddenly some sort of like breakthrough as to this character is actually poison ivy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not even, that's not a remote possibility in my mind. I'm just saying like, I don't think we're going to, it's going to be revealed at any time that, oh, this is it. But at this point, now that we know who the Robin is, and now that we know, you know, what's going on, what really is the out, you know, the end game for this story? I mean, what's hanging in the balance other than they just get this thing under control and they, I mean, like, honestly, the flashback stuff seems like it would be done now unless we start to see some flashbacks of Cassandra and Batman explaining their relationship. Um, but like what really is left to tell us other than them just getting out of the situation. And this is only issue number 19. We still have seven issues left. Well, I think that we have to have Batman short that shut down maybe an orphanage or two. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, steal from the Salvation Army. I mean, I don't, he, he really comes across poorly in this. I mean, I guess they're going to try to reestablish a new status quo with the Robins. So I'm assuming that, you know, just kind of basing on some of the anecdotal solicitation evidence we heard earlier, I'm guessing that maybe you get, you get Dick Grayson back in a Nightwing costume. But other than that, like, I'm not trying to be mean because I have really, really, really liked James Tinian's work in the past, but this story has just kind of lost me. It really has. Like, I like that we got Cassandra back in the in universe, and I think her introduction was handled pretty well, and she's fairly faithful to the original character. She's not perfect, but no New 52 version was. But the actual story that's going on, unfortunately, reminds me a lot of Robin War, as in it's got a lot of characters I really, really love in it, and I don't really care what they're doing at all. Do you think it's possible that this could end Spiral? Or do you think that has to happen in Grayson? I would, the say, I, would, I would say that I would think it's the end of Spiral, but the problem, or I, I, no, okay, let me rephrase it. I would think that Spiral would need to end in the pages of Grayson. Mm-hmm. The problem is that Tom King and Tim Seeley are no longer writing Grayson after, I believe, issue 49. Mm-hmm. So there's three issues that will still be produced that has nothing to do with what their story was since they've been on the book since the beginning. And again, it just, whatever's happening with Rebirth is throwing a wrench into whatever the stories are that are happening now. But at the same time, like, if Spiral, I don't know why even Grayson continues if Spiral doesn't exist anymore, other than to tell it just a Dick Grayson story. But you've got to wrap up the Spiral story somehow. Um, well, I would hope that, um, Bruce Wayne somehow comes back into the story. In the present day. I mean, timing-wise, like I said earlier, timing-wise, it's po- it's entirely possible that he does. Yeah. Um, based off those cover images that I, that are floating around online for the last couple issues, um, a lot of characters from the Bat Universe are going to be popping in the last couple issues. So maybe it all just ends up back in Gotham and everybody just decides to, I don't know, Team up, and then Batman appears in the final issue, and then it's, uh, everybody forgive Bruce because Ugh. he just got his memories back. Well, see, that's the problem with these, these, uh, these big stories is that it always ends with the breaking up of the family. And this is probably the closest the family has been ever. I mean, Jason Pod and Tim and, and Dick, and now we have two new players in Harper and Sport. Like, we have a Bat family just without the core Bat member. So I'm afraid that once he returns, like everything's going to fall apart and we'll be like, well, it was nice. It was a nice ride. And then they'll go off on their own. 
And that'll be a terrible ending, but I could see Which is it. so sad, because when you think about it, Death of the Family d- dismantled the relationship that they all had. The Death of the Family. Yeah, literally. Uh, Batman, uh, Batman Eternal, the first volume, actually kind of patched up some of that stuff and brought them seemingly back together. Not perfectly, but they, they did, you know, repair some of the relationships that some of them had. This has done a lot better job of like kind of like making the Bat family, even without Batman, still interact with each other, which we weren't seeing that much before this. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So anyway, the last thing I want to talk about is I said in the very beginning when I talked about issue 18, when I read the credits and I said Scott Eaton is credited with the art. The reason why I specifically said he's the only one credited for the art, but he's probably not the only one who actually did the art mm-hmm. is because there is a there's a distinct shift in the art quality come page 16 in the issue. Um it's a it's the scene where we come back from the flashback of uh Batman or mother dying and the police shooting at them and then we cut to now where they're all sitting in the control room and the art quality just is horrendously horrible. I mean like I can't go on and on about how bad the faces look in these pictures. Uh, in these, in these panels. It is horrible. And it is, there's no way it's the same artist. And I feel like they've gotten so accustomed to using multiple artists that now they're just pegging one artist's name on it and there's a new artist that, you know, is finishing stuff up because the quality just completely drops after page, er, you know, starting with page 16. Um, there's also a couple of continuity things which is not necessarily a tribute to the, uh, the, uh, artist, but more of the editor. Um, at the very end of 18, Poppy Ashmore is wearing a purple outfit. Then we start number 19 and she's suddenly in a white outfit. Um, you know, there's a couple other small things here and there, but like, I don't know what it is with this. Like, there, we complained about Batman Eternal and we had said multiple times, maybe they should have made this a bi-weekly instead of a weekly because there was, very similar problems, not to, I honestly feel like the art is such a larger problem with this series, this volume compared to the first volume. Like there was art issues, but it feels like there's so many more art issues this time around than there was the first time. Um, but I feel like the entire idea of what Batman Eternal is just completely like someone decided we're going to do this and then we're not going to, you know, do it ahead enough or get far far enough ahead where we don't run into these problems. I don't know what it is, but it really makes me question whether or not they're actually going to be able to pull off a bi-weekly series. You know, if Batman goes bi-weekly like they're saying, is it even going to be remotely possible to do something like that unless you have unless you're doing stuff super in advance, which is entirely possible because at the New 52, they did get really far ahead in the beginning, but then they just it caught up with themselves, and then they got screwed. Um, I mean, there's no other way to put it. I mean, realistically, I read something. I don't know where I read this, but I read something online that said that the art quality between Marvel and DC is is there's a very big difference. It never feels like there's a book, and I don't know if this is true or not. And the person who I believe was writing this was not saying that they distinctly knew this or not, but you don't hear about the art suddenly suffering halfway through a book when it's a Marvel book. Well, and I don't know if that's entirely true. I don't know if, you know, Marvel just does it, but the person was hypothesizing that maybe DC 
does not have their scripts turned in as soon as what Marvel has. Maybe that's part of the reason behind it. I will say that as of uh last week, I saw a tweet online from Greg Capullo saying he was still working on the last... He had five pages to go on Batman 50. But he had the entire issue 49 off. And we're less than a month before the issue is supposed to... It was solicited, and he's still not done with it. And that, to me, just is like... You know, great on him for actually doing the entire issue. I applaud him for doing the entire issue. At the same time, when you have a ser- an issue that's supposed to be oversized, that you're charging extra money for, it's supposed to be a week two book as it's solicited, but we're pushing it back to week four because the art's not done. In some ways, I would almost rather have it pushed back than have somebody, you know, pop in and just fill up the last couple of pages. But, Eternal, you can't really do that. You can't just push the issue back because of the schedule that it's on. You're just highlighting everything that we have a problem with them doing Batman bi-weekly. Like, yeah. like, it's, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with any of it, but this is just, listen, if, if Batman bi-weekly goes from being the book we're reading right now with Snyder and Cap and ends up something along the lines of Eternal, nobody's going to be happy with that, right? Like, I don't know. This book is lost, and it really is for me. This book, I, I read these two issues, and I'm like, "What in the world is going on?" Like Helena Bertinelli's face gets smashed in at one point, and she's just like bleeding everywhere, which was just seemed like an she, unnecessary it feels art the choice. Necessity to yeah. beat the living hell out of Cassandra, yeah. like. Oh, Cassandra, you're not you. You punched one person in the face, and I'm just gonna go off on you, like. That was out of nowhere for me. Yes. Like it just came out like what? A lot of this, like the characters aren't acting in character. I mean, Harper is not a fighter that can take on Jason or Cassandra. You know what I'm saying? Like she's just not. She's, I, I, you know. I also have to say, in issue 19, there was all these weird, completely off-panel things that happened. You know, uh, Cassandra is holding a taser. She's going to kill the adults in the room, but instead she turns her focus to Jason Todd, and the next time we see them, they're both laying on the floor and David Kane's walking out of his cell. What? And he explains it as, oh, it's so great when the taser knocks out the entire system. What? And and Cassandra headbutting Helena and giving her, like, the worst nosebleed in the history of the world. She's got, like, two... She's got, like, like, six gallons of blood on her face. Like... It looks like she broke her nose and her neighbor's nose. You know, I mean, it's just... It is a lot of blood. I mean, I will say, if you break your nose, you do bleed a lot. But it is insane how much blood was there. And like I said, there's a lot of just inconsistencies in the book. And I think it might start with art, or might end with art. I don't know. This looks to me like some of this art got finished by someone who got half the nose to what was going on. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's true. Like, they weren't in the room for a meeting, and a guy, like, emailed them and said, Oh, yeah, so just kind of do this deal. You know, I mean, yeah, I... I just, I agree with what you're saying. I don't know much to add, but yeah, some of the, the story just seems incoherent. So, yeah. You know, the Eternals are really a trial run. Um, and, and I think that they're sort of fixing some of the error, errors. I think dropping half, going from 52 to 26 certainly fixed some or, 
Sorry, some errors until we get you halfway through, and then all of a sudden we start to yeah. run almost the exact same problem. And I think it's just, it's hopefully going to come with time. Like, I mean, they should have it nailed out. I mean, these are professionals, but I'm feeling that, like, each iteration does get a little bit better. But um, I, I think Batman, <laughs> if it's going to be like this, there's going to be some some confusion. I think it should pull the cord in the Eternals. I mean, they're not ongoings. You know, when this one gets done... Just, and I think maybe that's what Batman will be doing is Batman becoming bi-weekly. They might shelve the Eternals. Yeah, I think, I honestly feel like this is the last one. And here, here's the question to ask real quick before we wrap this up. Between volume one and volume two, at least what we've seen so far from volume two, which one do you think was better? <sighs> one. I mean, one jumped all over the board, but at least I, I, a lot of times I felt lost, but I, I just seemed like I liked the characters and what was going on in one more. Just guess that's true. Though it's too, we do get some casts and like interactions. I don't know. Yeah, I, and I definitely have to say, you know, like there, it, you know, they brought in some different characters and it's great that they did that. You know, they did it in volume one to, you know, with Steph and things like, and other characters too, but to a degree, yes, eternal has been a way for them to bring characters that, really deserve a big focus when they get brought in. They've done that and they've served and the series has served that purpose. But honestly, between the story that was told in the first one, as many problems as there was and the length that it was and all of that, this story just feels like it is going to fall super flat, super flat. I think the word you look for is has fallen flat. Well, yeah, it has, but I mean, like there's still an opportunity for it to, you know, re, you know, pick itself back up because we know that volume one of eternal there was a humongous point where it was all like what is the point of this see but here's where the, are we going here's what happened to with batman eternal one by the time we got to the end the last four or five issues really straightened up right which means for this one that means the next time we record it better be charging down you know what i'm saying it better be starting to get coherent because right now i'm not saying it's batman odyssey but i'm saying it's getting there well, some of the art is Batman, honestly, yeah. just saying that. Yeah, yeah. All right. All right. So let's wrap this up. Uh, issue number 18, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. Two out of five. Three out of five. Over on the website, Ian gave it three, so it's going to give 18, total of three out of five. 19, I'm also going to give three. I agree. Same rating, two out of five. Three. And Ian gave it three and a half, so that's going to give 19, also three out of five. So let's jump over our website for Greater Gotham. So the first week of comics that we have starts off with Batman Ropa number four. Uh, Mark reviewed this and he gave it a total of two out of five. Uh, this was the end of the series. I'm giving this one a neutral. Thumbs up. I really like this. A lot. Neutral. Next, Batman Beyond reviewed by Jim. Uh, Batman Beyond number nine reviewed by Jim. He gave it three and a half out of five. Uh, Batman goes to Metropolis in search of uh, Matt McGinnis. And we find out where the other members of the Justice League Beyond are. Uh, for this one, I'm going to give a thumbs up. Neutral. Thumbs up. Uh, next, Batgirl number 48, reviewed by Don. He gave it three and a half out of five. Still, what happened in this one? Uh, we find out that the dream monster is actually Greg and uh, the, the, the fake friend slash roommate. And Babs goes to, uh, 
sort of, well, to confront him, but it doesn't go too well. For this one, I'm going to give a neutral. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Next, Midnighter number nine, reviewed by Tyler. He gave it two and a half out of five. In this one, Midnighter comes in contact with Suicide Squad, but not fighting Suicide Squad as it was solicited. Uh, this one, I'm going to give a thumbs down. Neutral. Neutral. Then we dive into our second week's worth of comics. Uh, first up, we have Batman 66 meets the man from Uncle, number three. The dynamic duo travel to Europe with Batgirl and the men from Uncle to stop the plans of Thrush. This one was reviewed by Gary. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. It's kind of fun. Neutral. Next, Batman Superman number 29. Batman and Superman investigate a murder on the moon that takes them deep into space and into the crosshairs of Lobo. This one was reviewed by Tyler. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Um, neutral. Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number three. In this one, we have the turtles dealing with Batman and as the plans of Shredder come into contact with the Batman's rogues gallery. For this one, Ryan gave it a total of four out of five. I'm giving this one a thumbs up. Neutral. Pizza. Pizza. I'm going to give this a thumbs up. I can see where you guys are heads are on this one. You like this one. Uh, Batman Arkham Knight, Batgirl, Harley Quinn special number one. This is a special one shot telling the untold story of Batgirl and Harley Quinn's past within the Arkham universe. Uh, this one was reviewed by Ryan. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Red Hood Arsenal number nine. This issue continues the story of the group into the nethers beneath the city of Gotham. Jason encounters the Iron Rule while Roy finds Joker's daughter. When the group reunites, they work to stop the plan of Sharon to cause the physical collapse of Gotham City. Okay, this one was reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Catwoman number 49. Selina is on the run from the Gotham City police, as well as assassins aiming to collect Penguin's million-dollar bounty on her head as she tries to solve the mystery of the Frost Diamond. Uh, Gary reviewed this one, and he gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral, but Batgirl has been everywhere recently, isn't she? She was yeah. in this one as well. Uh, which is a little weird why she would come all the way over here. Um, <laughs> just it's to get strange. It seems like there'd be other people that are more uh, fit to do that. Um, though it does at least connect to 46 of Batgirl because of the whole Steph Brown, um, Hazi Gawal situation. Um I'm just sad, I guess, that this is the direction it's going. I won't give it a thumbs down because I think there are positives, but neutral. All right. Harley's Little Black Book, number two. Harley loses her head more than usual as she causes an extracurricular extraterrestrial extravaganza with Green Lantern and a warship full of dangerous aliens. This was reviewed by Gary. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 Uh, Gotham Academy number 15, reviewed by Tyler. He gave it two and a half out of five. Part two of the yearbook story arc reveals more staff of the Academy have more in common with the Batman 66 series than we ever imagined. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 New Suicide Squad number 17. The new creative team takes over the title as the team heads to Hong Kong, but will they all survive the creative team change? This one was reviewed by Bill. He gave it three and a half out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Thumbs up, yeah. Neutral. Next up, Injustice Gods Among Us, year five, number three. Uh, the Bat Family makes plans to save Catwoman from the clutches of Bane while Batman prepares for the face-to-face encounter with Superman. This one was reviewed by Bill. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a neutral. 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 
Next, DC Comics Bombshells number 9. The latest issue delves into the history of Courtney and Mira with a fight between Wonder Woman and the Baroness Lumine. We are also introduced to Edward Nigma and are shown his variation in this universe. This was reviewed by Stella. She gave it 3.5 out of 5. I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral? Uh, uh, I'll give it a thumbs up. All right. And then our DC Universe books for the second week included Black Canary number 8, which we are no longer covering a full review. Uh, but the White Ninjas revealed is Dinah's aunt. Vixen makes an appearance as the band begins their European t- tour. Uh, this one I'm going to give a neutral. 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 And next, and uh, last but not least, Earth Two Society number nine. Batman makes a brief appearance in recruiting Red Arrow, and the, that's the TBU appearance. Uh, for this one, uh, Bill actually did do a full review of it this time around, uh, and he gave it a thumbs up. Uh, I'm giving this one a neutral. Clearly, only based off of the TBU appearances. There's not a whole lot there. Uh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. All right. So that is all of our books. As you may have noticed, the, when I said we're not covering certain books, there's a certain list of books we are no longer going to be doing full reviews for. Part of that has to do with the fact that uh, we don't have the uh, staff to cover every single book unless our staff covers six, seven books apiece. So it's impossible with our current staff that we have. Uh, so going forward, we will no longer be doing full reviews for certain books. These books include Secret Six, Justice League 3001, Earth 2 Society, Black Canary, uh, the most Suicide Squad Most Wanted, Deadshot Katana miniseries, and Midnighter. Those will no longer be receiving full reviews, but we still will be giving a synopsis as to how they tie in with the Batman universe in our new article series called the TV Review Roundup, which we'll post every Saturday with the review roundup of every single book that we have for that week. All right, so that is going to bring us into our bat signal, and we have a ton of comments on the website. So we're going to dive through these as quickly as possible. Some of them are replies back and forth between uh, Ian and Don. They had a lot of conversations in our comment <laughs> section. So, but we're going to dive through these comments. So first up, Evan G says, Ed, as much as I complain about his characterization, yes. I like Tim alive and around. I'd, no. still, I'd be, still be mad if he were killed, especially if he weren't brought back within a year or so. I'm really worried about Rebirth and Tim Drake. They're rumored to be going in the movie direction, and those who don't have Tim in them right now, animated or live action. I mean, Damien leading a Titans team? Really? I really like Fabian Nesiza back on the character, or even Chris Yost. They they both know how to write the character well, and would get my money, get me to spend my money. So, with these, with this, um, I'm not opposed to Damien being on a Team Titans team, because I think there could be a fresh direction for the Titans book. Um, I do think that if they did do that, Tim better have a direction to go because if he's not going to be in Titans book, if they do what we're hearing, which is there's a Titans book with Dick Grayson and the original, the original lineup of the original Titans. But then we also have a teen Titans book with Damien at the uh, head of the, the team. Then we are going to probably end up having nowhere for Tim Drake. So he's got to have somewhere to go. Batman Beyond. Okay, besides Batman Beyond, because... I know what I'm saying. That's where they're putting him at. Yeah, that's true. That's probably the only place. Yeah, I'm not saying I like it. I'm just saying that's where they're going to shove him at is Batman Beyond. In my opinion, we've got to the point 
I'm sorry, Evan. We should just take Tim out back, shoot him in the head. Wow. That would be a great story. Seriously. Is that a one shot? Yeah, that's a Riddler one shot called Shoot Him in the Head. Um, oh my God. <laughs> no, I'm serious though. Like, I'm at the point where I just think the Bat family, especially since we don't have an anthology book, really, it's, I think it's just overcrowded. And it's not that I dislike Tim. I love Tim. He's one of my premium 52 is easily my favorite character in, in the, in the universe. But, but now I think you're just at a point where you have, you have too many bodies. I mean, you, you I love Cass and, and his people. So I'm not, I'm not dissing on them, but you add Harper and Cass and spoil and, 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 and you just can't have enough page count and just take them out back, put one in his head and that'll be it. We'll see him later. I don't agree with that statement at all. I think realistically what they probably should do is, you know, as we have predicted and what's at least part of the rumor mill right now is that there will be a Birds of Prey series that will probably have Batgirl and Black Canary and Harper Rowe and Cassandra Kane and probably Steph. That would probably, I would not, I would highly, highly doubt if a Birds of Prey series does not include those characters. And that at least takes a good chunk of these characters that have no focus. What if Batwoman was thrown in there too for, you know, for her to actually have a purpose in the uh, universe at this point too. Um, what, like if we don't get a lot of those characters in those books, because that would take up a lot of the characters that don't have a place normally. Um, what if we did get an anthology book? We know that they're doing an anthology book, right? They, they just, well, it's, I don't think it started yet. I think it starts in March. Maybe there's a, a anthology book that's supposed to have stories with firestorm, and uh, the Sugar and Spike, a lot of those stories that were originally planned to be miniseries, but then never actually became miniseries, That's and now they're just being an anthology, and I don't even remember what they're called, the, the anthology's called, but there's like four or five different characters, whatever. What if they did something like that within the Batman universe? I mean, there's so many freaking characters that either don't get used or they don't have enough, they don't have enough story to tell where they can manage their own series, like, Talon, you know, I was not a huge fan of that series. It just felt like such a, you know, pull for money when it came to that series because it was like, oh, well, this is Court of Owls and that was such so good and this was an idea that Scott Snyder had and blah, 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 and we're just going to spin this out and we're going to have this series that we can sell because it ties in with what Snyder did. I hate the cash grab, the money grab stuff that, that they do, but that series ultimately ended I think it was even before 12 issues because there just wasn't enough story to tell. So what if you have, you know, these characters that you want to focus on do short stories? You could have a series that lasts a very long period of time. And if it's two, three issue story arcs dealing with these characters, by all means, you can have new creative teams every three months. I mean, I think that's probably the best direction to go because you could get a lot of really good short stories about a lot of characters over a long period of time. Yeah, I agree. I just don't think they'll do it. I don't think so either. But I also right. I will also remind you guys that uh, it's not a shock to see a man on the Birds of Prey team, and I'm wondering if since Babs and Luke have been in a, rela- in a relationship, that we'll see um, Batwing appear as a character in the Birds of Prey. It's true. All right. Next, Ian says, "I agree with Dustin about having a character having a that having a character around is important. Since even though their introduction slash new origin might be bad or mediocre without their existence, no good stories about the character can come about it at all. So I agree with you that Tim being in the New Fifty Two is good, even if he's not usually very good in it. 
though I quite like him in Eternal, but not as much in Eternal Volume 2. However, I think Fabian Nassiza ran Tim into the ground twice. First, when he took over for Dixon, and instead of building his relationship, he isolated him and made him a colossal jerk. To be fair, I think DC told all their creators who were filling in for famous creative teams to make the series end on a downer, as the exact same thing happened with Birds of Prey and Tony Bedard. However, the second time he took Red Robin from a series when Tim was building back from that dark place into a team player, one who could collaborate with Batgirl instead of kicking her in the stomach, one who hugs Batman into one who Batman has to scold for planning murder and who develops more and more into the type of arrogance that we now know turns off people in the New 52 Tim. Again, to be fair, he's the one who had Batman hugged Tim, but in the same issue, he forced it, he forced in a ridiculous amount of fan service with Tim making out with Lynx, the whole player Tim character thread in his half of the series was really off putting for fans of the way Tim had been deep, had deep romantic connections with Ariana and Stephanie. Um, yes, also Fabian Nassiza, if I remember correctly, was the one who kept doing interviews related to Tim's V card. Yeah, see, I Drake Thomas. Re- I distinctly remember talking about that. Yeah, that was one of his things. And, and I can only say about this, Ian, please reference my earlier comic, Drake, comma, shoot him in the head. You know, we're down here. Kill him. Next, Logan said, guys, the audience suspected that Cass killed Harper's mom. They finally confirmed it in the issue and also confirmed that Harper is Robin that was created for Batman by Mother. The entire underlying question of the whole story that they've kept touching upon. This is my greatest failure, issue number one. He's talking about Harper being the result of his dangerous game with Mother and him not doing anything about it. You guys missed it. Nothing even happened. No secret. Are you guys even reading? Well, Logan, uh... I, I did snarkily respond to your comment on the website because the previous episode that uh, we, we only reviewed issues 16 to 17 and it was revealed in 18 that Harper was the Robin. Um, we did, in fact, say multiple times that we were well aware that Cassandra was the one who killed Harper's mom. We knew that from the sculptor issue. Um, but realistically, I starkly responded to your comment because when I read it, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning when I read your comment and I was like, really? Really? They don't know what issue we're we're reviewing? Now, I understand that there is a slight delay with what we review and how the issue, how the episodes that we produce release because we don't release our episodes within 24 hours of recording them. As great as that would be, it's just it's not likely. So, um, I apologize for being so snarky, but we didn't review the issue that you're, you're referring to until this episode. So hopefully we cleared that up with talking about it now. Yep. Next, Donovan says, it's always funny to me how for months now, the bulk of the podcast rolls back towards what's going to happen with Scott Snyder. He seemingly become more popular than Grant Morrison. Hell, I would go as far as to suggest that if Scott Snyder's Batman run wasn't included at the start of the New 52, the company would have done another revamp slash relaunch by now. Because what other book has the same level of star power month in and month out of rave reviews? Jeff Johns, Justice League, and Brian Azarello's Wonder Woman were talked about, but only in the same way that a known writer on a big book is. Snyder's Batman is different. I think, I think because... Even though he made a name for himself during his stint on Detective, he was still fairly new. Uh, he's still very new compared to every other major DC writer. Uh, Johns, Morrison, Azrello, Judd Winnick, guys like that represented the heavy hitters of DC, at DC around the mid-2000s and not the late 2000s or 2010s. Snyder, the future, without him, DC's got nothing but the old guys. 
My point is that the idea of DC doing another reboot, or at the very least, a relaunch or revamp, is very likely because aside from Snyder and Capullo on Batman, what other big-time talked-about books do they have? Harley Quinn sells well, but that's more owed to the character as opposed to the creative teams, in my opinion. Snyder's Batman, whilst rarely going against the nature of the character, in my opinion, might as well be an entirely separate comic in how its reputation has kept DC above water for the last few years. So even despite the criticism of his stories, it's still a book everyone's going to be reading, akin to The Walking Dead or what have you. A better comparison would be the title JLA by Grant Morrison, which achieved a very similar status back in 1997. Morrison was a name by that time, but JLA was such a gigantic hit sales-wise, it became DC's flagship title for years and influenced the scope of the DC Universe and every character connected to it. That helped shift the company into something more stable, as it had JLA to look towards as an influence to mirror in terms of innovative storytelling without going against the nature of the characters. Same with the new Teen Titans in the 1980s, which was DC's flagship title for years. So, maybe Snyder's Batman's massive success is done more harm than good for DC in that without it, DC has little to show for itself. Sure, there are unique books like Batgirl, Gotham Academy, Bizarro, Grayson, and others, but because they aren't hitting as hard as Snyder's Batman, perhaps they can't wholly exist in an era of the industry when books like Snyder's Batman are required to help maintain the name of DC Comics. So if the company reboots or relaunches, it's not at all unexpected. By this point, DiDio, Lee, and Johns have proven that they'll try anything. Well, that was a very long comment, Don. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with you in the regards of, you know, in some ways, maybe the success of Batman has hindered what DC is trying to achieve. But the question is, what are they trying to achieve? Because as we've seen last year, they did DCU, and that was supposed to be introducing a book that you know, there was a book for something for everybody, as they said, and it didn't really work as well as they anticipated it be working. And the funny thing is, I keep seeing these phrases around the internet saying that uh, with Rebirth, they're going to go more with the meat and potatoes of what the books, you know, what books you're expecting. So we can start to see, you know, back to like when the New 52 started, how we had four Batman titles. Um, you know, and there was not a whole lot of other peripheral books. There was, you know, the main, basically, if you look at what it's was the core produced, group of books. Yeah. Is yeah. you look at the, the, the books that from the beginning of the new 52, yeah, there was a couple out there characters that were new. Swamp Thing didn't have a title before the new 52 and things like that. But when it came to the Batman books, there wasn't anything unusual. Everything that was there was the same stuff that was there before the new 52. They just had a different title on it or something of that same nature. Now, it just seems like with Rebirth, if I keep seeing, like I said, I keep seeing everyone saying they want to get back to the meat and potatoes. They want to have more Batman books. They want to have more of the the normal stuff that everybody knows and everybody loves, and not so much about the, you know, we're going to try new things type thing. I'm not saying I agree with that, but as a business, if the meat and potato stuff sells, and your overall market share is higher, it's not a bad thing. But I don't think just because you do that meat and potato stuff, you should stop doing or stop trying the the new and different stuff either. No, but I think the problem is when they, they unveiled the DCU thing, like not a lot of those titles were successful. Now, some of them are critically successful, titles like Perez and Omega Man, right? 
were considered great stories, but nobody bought them. Yeah. You know, I mean, so I think that, I know everyone hates to hear this, but at the end of the day, they're in organizations, they're to sell things. And if no one's buying them, um, it's a problem. The other thing I touch on from what Donovan said is he brought up Harley Quinn sales and he loses more to the character and the creative team. I'm going to have to slightly disagree with him there. I think that the Harley Quinn comic and the Connor and Palmiotti team are a perfect combination, right? I, like, mm. I, I think that it's, it's her character with them as white. Cause that book is not like any other book, period. It's just not. I agree. I agree with the fact that it's not like any other book that the combination of Connor Palmiotti with Harley Quinn works, but I have a strange suspicion that we are getting to a, so a saturation point of this. There is yeah, no doubt. A ginormous saturation point. It's going to happen in April because in April oh we will have another issue of uh, Harley's Quinn's little black book. There is a April Fool's special. There's Harley's main series. They start off that Harley's Gang of Harley's miniseries. There's going to be too much Harley, and it's going to hit a breaking point. I honestly feel like that's going to happen. Um, it would be one thing if they had other teams doing a take that was still zany, but I feel like oh, no. maybe it's been too long for ha- to have or too much to have Connor Palmiotti doing Harley Quinn for this long of a period. I, I think you're talking about. Oversaturation. I think that if they had just left it with just the Harley Quinn book, right, and with not, without the 15 million other ones, I think Connor and Palmiotti were perfect for it. But now there's there's no doubt you're right. There's too much. But I think if you just had the one book, they fit that character's voice very well. That's all. All right. So next, Ian says, I think Snyder's success is massively un- underbalancing, but it's not his fault that no other title has caught up caught on to a similar extent and that is that and that DC is extremely craven in its attempts to cash in on anything that hints of success. See also how many bat books there are every time they tie into his storylines and the infinite number of Harley Quinn <laughs> and Dark Knight Returns titles. Agreed. Um Don says ten years ago was Morrison's Batman run and Paul Dini's Detective Comics run. There was also Jeff John's Teen Titans and Green Lantern, Judd Winnick's Outsiders, Brad Meltzer and Dwayne McDuffie's Justice League of America, Greg Rucka was on Wonder Woman. There was more famous titles being done by successful creators at the time, much less the case now. But is that really the thing? Because when you look at those names, how many of those names are still writing comics? Ruck is writing stuff sometimes, so. Sometimes, yeah. Jeff Johns obviously is still there. Morrison's Dean, doing his own stuff. He's not doing. Like, Meltzer's writing events. books again. So, I mean, like. Um, yeah. I mean, like, realistically, the, I think the thing is, the 90s, there was a lot of big names like Dixon and to a degree, Denny O'Neill was working on stuff to it, you know, at a point. There was a lot of names that were working on stuff in the 90s that by the late nineties, there was names, new names that were coming in that, you know, started to establish themselves as being able to write Devin Grayson, um, Gail Simone to a degree, um, you know, they came in in the late nineties and then, you know, they were some of the big names within the Batman universe during the two thousands. But what did we really get out of the late two thousands other than Scott Snyder? Nobody. So, I mean, like, Snyder's, this is his successful time is because that's when he was introduced, was during that, that, you know, transition time. And it feels like there's a transition time at DC all the time, but they just haven't had a really good job of, like, getting a lot of new talent. You know, we're starting to see, you know, guys who have been doing stuff 
for a, a little while, like a couple of years now, Tom King, and they're giving him, you know, they gave him Omega Men, and now he's potentially going to be on Batman. Um, we're starting to see them, you know, starting to, you know, do stuff with writers, but it seems like sometimes when they get a writer who comes in, something happens, like, you know, the situation with uh, Batwoman, where, you know, they the creators want to go in one direction, DC says, no, we want to go in this other direction, the creators pack up shop and leave. Uh, John Lehman was a guy who came in who had a name for himself already, worked on Detective Comics, ends up leaving midway through Batman Eternal because he doesn't agree with whatever's going on with, you know, what he's being dictated to him to do. So, I mean, like, it's it's hard to say because the problem is it just doesn't feel like they're giving writers the opportunity like they potentially have done in the past. And I don't know if that's, you know, attributed to, you know, the leadership at DC or if it's attributed to something else, but it just doesn't feel like they've fostered enough new writers to become. No, like, they have yeah, Occasionally, I mean, like we have James Tinian who, you know, Snyder brought along up, with him. And we yeah. got Margaret Bennett who also Snyder brought along with him. And now the one thing I, I find interesting is there's currently Snyder's teaching this DC writers class where DC like picked all these writers to like come in and be taught by Snyder to how to write comics, blah, blah, blah. And now I, I, and Snyder tweets about it a lot because it's like a class once a week or whatever. And like the next time they do a class, it's going to be open and it's going to be online where pretty much anybody can attend if they want. And it's basically Snyder telling, teaching everybody how to write comics, I guess in his style. I don't know if it's necessarily in his style, but like there's a reason why they picked him. It's because he's, consistently sells their top book. So they're hoping that he can pass this on to somebody else. And I think he does a little more than consistently sell the top book. I think the other side of the business that we don't talk about a lot, he's a nice guy. He turns his stuff in on time. He meets his deadline. You know what I'm saying? Like Snyder's books don't suffer from delays from him. Capullo's art backs it up sometimes, but it's not, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that if you had to learn how to do the business from someone who was younger, he would be the poster child. But I don't know what else to say besides that. I just, they need to, the other thing I would say is this, I think a lot of the younger power comics writers, for lack of a better way of putting it, you're seeing them graduate towards doing their own stuff on Image and some of the, the indie brands, you know, where they're doing more creator controlled things. And I think you're seeing less of those guys do like the big two comics right now. And, but I think in some ways it also has a lot to do with like today's society. I think today's society is a lot more protective of what they want to do instead of what the company wants them to do. Oh, sure. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, yeah, I, that. I think like, I think probably in the nineties, there was a lot more leniency as to creators having the ability to do certain things. And that could be why, you know, the nineties was such a booming time for comics in general was because that was the ability, but then like start, started to get a lot more corporate in two thousands. And there's, you know, I just feel like, that's probably it because you do hear a lot of the time you hear creators like, Oh, you know, I'm telling my own stories over here. I'm doing my own projects yep. at this other company. This is a creator owned project. And you know, you hear about that stuff all the time. And there's a reason why they're promoting creator owned stuff. And it's not because DC is letting them do whatever they want. Absolutely. So, yep. Totally. 
All right, so there's a couple other comments related back and forth between Ian and Don. I'm not going to keep going into those uh, <laughs> Ian, because th- it'll just take us forever to get through them. But Ian did make another comment about something regarding the episode. Regarding Eternal Number 16 and Jason's character development, I'm afraid that this new desire to form closer bonds with his brothers and develop his methods of crime fighting away from more violent side is unlikely to stick. The situation reminds me of Huntress, Helena Bertinelli, not Wayne, in the early 2000s. She was very, she was in a very similar situation to Red Hood in that she had a strong sense of justice and morality, but believed that killing the worst criminals was part of serving that justice. Gail Simone managed to develop her away from those more violent tendencies over three to four years of focused character development, which was sadly undone as soon as she left the title and the birds were disbanded a year and a half later. For this kind of character development to stick, it takes a writer with a fair amount of influence with a long-term goal and a title in which to write that story. I think unless someone new gets a hold of Red Hood on a title, he's not going to show much change, unfortunately. But who knows? Rebirth could finally give us a non-Lobdell Red Hood series, possibly even a Red series written by Ed. This guy gets smarter every time he writes, I'm telling you. (laughs) Every time he writes, I think, this guy, this guy's smart. I like this guy. Good comment. Well done, Ian. Nothing to say. Here, here's, here's my thing. I agree completely with when you need, to, like, if you are going to be on a book, you should have a plan for at least two years. I would hope so. <laughs> I would hope. I mean, but the reality of it is that a lot of times DC gives their writers six, maybe 12 issues, six issues for sure. And then 12 issues if, you know, sales are okay. They're, you know, they're not like bad sales. You know, they're not books in danger type sales, but like after the, after the 12 issues, you know, if they aren't doing really, really well, they will shake it up and they have no problem. Oh, no problem at all. They'll give you a trade. That's it. And and that's the thing. And the problem with that is that you're not getting these long form stories that have the ability to change the characterization of these characters. Now it's, you got to do this very quickly and it comes across as rushed and it comes across as forced, and it just doesn't stick in the long term because it's not something that really matters that much. Like I'm just looking at like Birds of Prey at the new when the new Fifty Two started. We had what three writers on that series before it was canceled. There was more. It was more than one. That's for sure. Yeah, I because I remember Christy Marks, Dwayne Zwarzynski, Who's the other one? They had at least like three different writers, but that series didn't even last thirty six issues. I mean, like. It was, they didn't even give each writer eight, you know, a full year to, to really make their mark on the series. So, I mean, like, in my mind, it just comes across as this, you, you look at, and I don't know if it's just because the legacy of these books and this, and these series where we've had, uh, you know, we've had, we had Robin who went 200 plus issues. We had Nightwing 180 plus issues. We had Batgirl over 70 issues. We had Catwoman 90 issues. You know, books don't, and I understand that the numbering thing, it's pointless nowadays. It really doesn't make a difference. Um, but to a degree, those series lasted as long as they did, not because of, you know, they had amazing sales. I mean, I'm sure some of them did have amazing sales. But a lot of times it was just putting some faith into the creators behind it. And they clearly don't have a problem doing that. But the problem is they somehow have to have a creator show that their stuff sells right out the gate. And I don't know, like... Somehow Scott Snyder, maybe he was just the right place at the right time and he got Batman when he did because we also have to remember that in the midst of his run on Batman, we've had 
the uh, the Dark Knight Rises came out. We have we have a animated Batman film every year. We've had uh, Batman appear in TV shows. We've had Batman, you know, Batman in general is a very popular character outside of comic books. So I'm not trying to take anything away from Scott Snyder, but when your most popular character uh, in any media that you have is names blasted on a comic book, I'm pretty sure that book's going to probably sell better than Detective Comics, which doesn't have his name on the cover. All right, last comment comes from Michael. Uh, He says... Hello, Dustin, Ed, and Stella. Another great podcast as always. I look forward to every other Friday to catch up the TBU, to catch the TBU comic podcast. I have tried listening to other podcasts, but they always come up short compared to this one. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, Ed might want to leave for a while. I have two main issues with the current state of Batman comics, and they both involve his favorite writer. Issue one. Thoreau? We're going to talk about David Thoreau. Henry David Thoreau. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Issue one, I can't decide if Harper Rowe is the Jar Jar Binks or the Scrappy Doo of the Batman universe. All I know is that she was foisted on us because some, uh, some creator decided that the established characters that came before weren't annoying enough to use. So he unleashed this ab- ab- abomination. I've had it with this character and now Batman Robin Eternal is trying to give her some reason to exist, which makes it worse. My only hope is that when Snyder moves from Batman, the character, not just the series, that we will see a lot less Harper Rowe unless it is the story arc, the extremely swift and un- retconnable destruction of Har- Harper Rowe. Oh, That's I a would selling title that, right there. I would buy that in print, digitally, in every trade volume they wanted to put out, unless it was written by Snyder. Then I wouldn't be able to afford the seven volumes it would take for the one of his smaller arcs. Point two. Dustin, in a previous response to one of my comments, you mentioned that a lot of the more out of character, or as I call them, completely nonsensical aspects of Snyder's run on Batman could always be retconned out of existence when Snyder is no longer writing the character. Judging from the past experience, I don't think DC would do that. They seem to have a reverence for certain high-profile creators that and will perpetuate those creators' mistakes despite multiple chances to correct those mistakes through reboots. My case in point is Barbara Gordon being changed from Jim da- Jim's daughter Jim's niece, because Frank Miller didn't care about Batman's continuity when writing Batman Year One. With Infinite Crisis, and especially the New 52, they could have easily retconned this mistake, and Barbara would once again be Jim's daughter, as she was at her origin. But that simple retcon was never done, I suppose out of some deference to Frank Miller. I am just afraid that DC holds Snyder in the same esteem, or higher, and that any ideas or concepts that he has introduced, no matter how insepid, will be off-limits to retconning. I am, I and I'm afraid that Snyder may end up ruining Batman in the comics for a long time after he's gone with some of his decisions, because God forbid Alfred has two hands again, or Batman acknowledges he has a son or former partners that aren't gun-toning morons with ridiculous blue hair that are supposedly more technically savvy than Tim Drake. It might be, it might disrespect the brilliance of the writer. Anyways, I'm experiencing a bit of Snyder fatigue. Is it noticeable? And still a, Thank you for not referencing Marvel when Dustin read the word ab- abomination. Unless you did. And if you did, stop it. This is a Batman podcast. And Ed can come back now. It's safe for him to listen again. Thanks again for the work that you do to keep us informed and entertained. I especially like the discussion on the sales figures. It's a good addition to the podcast. Looking forward to the next show. Mike, I, uh, Michael, I have to say, I, 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 I mean, like, you come across as my number one fan. I mean, everything oh, yeah. that you complain about is stuff that I complain about. So, 
I applaud you on your wonderful comments. I will, in, in the defense of a couple of things, or in, in, I guess, counter to some of the things you said, um, the thing, let's, let's, let's talk about this Barbara Gordon origin thing real quick, since we have the Barbara Gordon expert on our show. Um, Stella, tell us the breakdown of this. She, obviously, as we know, she was originally Gordon's daughter. Right. And then how um, did it change? Because the, the, the funny it. thing is, it was, uh, Don did mention that in Gotham's Nights, it was, uh, again, it, it, you know, like, I guess, eight, uh, 12 years later after year one, it was implied yet again that, that Jim was her, uh, biological father. Uh, but then Ian yeah. replied that Black Mirror heavily implied that she wasn't. So what is it? I'd have to see that again. Um, crisis is really the factor that changed her origin, uh, I'm afraid. Um, and it, it was really with uh, Kiesel, the secret origin issue number 20, um, that changed that she was uh, the niece of her and her parents, tragically, and she, she was taken in. Um, so I don't know know if I necessarily attribute all of that to Frank Miller because with the crisis, the first crisis, it all, it shook everything up. So I feel like it was more a symptom of that rather than Frank Miller. Um, but now it is getting a little shady, uh, as to, you know, whether she is his biological daughter or not. Um, Gotham Knights is one of the ones that points to the fact that maybe it's reverting back to it. And of course now in this continuity, they are blood related. I'd have to reread the, um, the Snyder run and detective to see what, what that reference is that he's talking about there. But, um, I mean, yeah, I, I never really thought about Frank Miller being the problem. I thought about the crisis being the problem. In my thoughts on this is basically there's always going to be certain things that they hold in high esteem when it comes to a writer doing them. But to a degree, look at all the stuff that Grant Morrison did. That stuff had great sales numbers, uh, critically well-received, and the New 52 happened, and they kind of just wiped a lot of that stuff out. Um, outside of Damien kind of being the only lasting effect from Morrison's run on Batman, there's and, and, and to a degree, that's the one lasting effect. But yet, it's the effect that probably is dealt with the least out of everything in Snyder's run because he doesn't deal with the character. Um, I don't necessarily completely agree with you know just because a, a high profile writer does something really good, it's always going to stick. I don't think that's always the case. I think it's um, the more high profile the event is, not the writer. That yeah, that, yeah, it's, you know, that does. I think it, that does because when you look at stories like Nightfall, No Man's Land, Hush, that it, you could have had someone else write it. it. The event, as long as it's as big as it is and it has an impact like it should, those things are going to stick. And honestly, I have a hard time believing that some of Snyder's stuff will actually stick. Like, it's not to say that it's bad. But I have a hard time believing that, like, Zero Year is going to be remembered as this great origin story for Batman. I just don't think it will be. Or, I think... Or go ahead. Um, no, I was just going to say, or Renoir. <laughs> no. I think that what Snyder will be... I think in ten years from now, if we're all still in this cast, the the ones that, were, that will be remembered for Snyder, I think Quarter Owls, right? I think Black Mirror... And I think Death of the Family and Endgame, and I think the rest of it was You and Death of the Family, you kill me with that. I love that story. Well, I, I don't now, know why it was terrible. 
now if you now if you look at it to me, Death of the Family, Endgame, and Super Heavy are just like a one giant story, really. I mean, Death of the Family and Endgame will probably get an absolute together. And I think Super Heavy is just the third part of that story. That's his his telling of, of Bruce Wayne. But but I, I don't know, personal continuity for me is tough. Like, I'm the worst one in the world that makes up my own timelines in my head and just, well, that's what I'm doing. So, like, for Batgirl, I use Batgirl Year One as the touchstone that I think is the definitive origin. And then everything that disagrees with it, I just throw it away if at all possible. You know? Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I think that we all do that to some extent. But um, I don't know. I think it's the, how big the thing is. You can't – well, they, although they did it, it's more difficult to throw a crisis away if it was wrote by insert name here than a Snyder story, if that makes any sense. I think how big it is. And look at Killing Joke. They're never going to get that to go away, ever. Ever. I mean, so – yeah, I think it's just, I think it's the size of the event, not the size of the writer. But, but I think if you have a giant event wrote by, a, you know, a Jeff Johns or a Grant Morrison, then it becomes maybe doubly more difficult to get rid of. All right. So that is all of our comments that we have on the episode. I want to implore everyone to continue to send those comments. We appreciate them. Like I said, I knew we were going to have, we were going to be spending some time reading some of those comments. So we do not have time for a discussion this time around, but it's not like we didn't have plenty of other things to discuss. We talked about the numbers earlier and things like that. So with that, that is going to wrap up this episode. I want to, I of course want you to head over to the website and check out everything that we have to offer, including all of the reviews of all the TBU, TBU books. I implore you to leave comments on those reviews, chat with the writers and reviewers behind those reviews and give your comments and two cents on those individual books. If you are reading them also be sure to check out all of the other podcasts that we have to offer. Be sure to join our Facebook group as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest from the Batman universe. Also, I am still looking for staff members. It's kind of like a broken record here. Still looking for people to, who, who could be interested in either reviewing comics, writing up news blurbs, things like that. If you're interested, send us an email, tbu at net. As always, leave comments on the podcast post for the next episode and leave us reviews on iTunes. Those are always greatly appreciated. So with that, that is everything for this episode. This is Dustin. This is Ed, and I want to remind everyone that in Death of the Family, Batman punches a horse in the face. That's all I'm saying. Oh, my gosh. That's what makes it so great. You're insane. I'm going to find out what the fear of horses is, and that's what I'm going to say you have forever. Because that way it can be a tribute to why you enjoy a, a horse being punched in the face. It's just amazing. It just is. I just remember the memes for the longest time that there was that were being thrown around about Snyder not liking horses. And then Alfred basically <laughs> turned into a horse that Snyder didn't like. Well, in one story, we punched one in the face and set one on fire. So, oh, this is Ed. And this is Greta. And you have been listening to the Batman vs. Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in two weeks. <laughs>